Hello, everybody. Welcome to 2020. It is a happy new year. The first episode after the remnants of 2019 have just dissipated like ash from a burning fire. But it's okay. We're here. We had a great holiday, I'm sure. And um, we're excited to be back. And we're we're not doing an upcoming uh, movie from a movie star. We're doing we're doing a an icon who we've been wanting to do for a long time with someone we love speaking with. My name is Dan Mecca. This is the B side for the film stage. We talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they made in between. And as always, I'm with Connor O'Donnell. How are you? I'm jacked. Jacked Nicholson, you mean? Yeah. That's who we're doing, even though his, there's no ED at the end of his first name. Yeah. Which, sorry. But, and we are with one of our favorite people who you were with us for Charlie's. Yes, yes. I, sir. I absolutely was. And the voice you're hearing is Catherine Clark Gray, who is a screenwriter producer who writes for the podcast, Masters of Scale. How are you? I am awesome. I am ready to take on 2020 and all its horrors and joys. <laughs> I know. And there will be, I'm sure, so many horrors, but some joys as well. Now, I feel I feel like we did Charlie's like a year ago, right? It or, was almost exactly yeah, like just holiday about. time a year ago. Yeah, just and we about. talked about the two days in the valley, trapped. So many random moves. Head, heads were in clouds. The yards. The yards. <laughs> right. Forget the yards. Yeah. Check that episode out. That's a fun episode. Um, so today we're talking about Jack Nicholson. We've been talking to Katie about doing it for a long time because he we could do four episodes. Yeah, I mean, his career 100%. is... For as many obviously high-profile movies he's had, yeah. and whatnot, he's got a ton of. It's crazy. Fodder. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I mean, I, I I always forget this. He, I mean, he was around from the early mid '60s. I mean, he was in stuff like that you won't forget about, like stuff like I was just even watching these movies, like the Monty Hellman movie, The Shooting, right? Like just like stuff where you're like, oh my god, like he was making movies. Yeah, he was making Roger Corman movies right, right at right, the beginning. Exactly. He was yeah. he was the masochist patient in Little Shop of Horrors. Right, right, right. Exactly. Which, if you go back and you find the clip on YouTube, it is wonderful. Yeah, and even like, I mean, obviously, I guess if you if you have this knowledge and you like Jack Nicholson, you'll probably think the star making performance is him in Easy Rider, which I suppose is true. But I mean, there was stuff before that. You know what I mean? He was working for a long time, even to the point where. So um, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about um, a few movies like always. One movie he directed, and I, I was just saying to Connor before we recorded, he directed three movies, and it's crazy. His first movie he directed, Drive, he said, was in '71, which is like young movie star status to be directing a movie. And he Karen Black's in it, who he starred with in uh, Five Easy Pieces. So just funny, like I just forgot he was doing so much so so early on. I think he was, uh, I and I don't know this for a fact, but th the only thing that makes that make sense for me is that he, you know, when you look at like the easy rider mm. of it all, like they were all just making movies. You know what I mean? There was like a right. freewheeling nature to making those movies. So, you know, I think uh, it, it that that to me better explains how he was able to just be like, I guess I'll try my hand at directing too, you know? Yeah. And then seemingly maybe kind of didn't, have a huge taste for it maybe well, you know because yeah, like, he puts I, it he didn't direct another movie until the first one we're going to talk about right well yeah we'll talk about and he almost directed uh the two jakes which is the first movie we're going to talk about in 1990 out of necessity because we'll get into it but anyway just to give you the sense of the movies we're going to do today 1990 the two jakes 1992 man trouble if you've never heard of it 
That's totally cool. Nobody There's has. a reason. <laughs> might not, it might not actually exist. We might have just made the movie to talk about it. Um, 96, you have a Susone of Jack in... Um, the Evening Star. Thank you, Katie. I was the, like, what is the name of that movie? <laughs> it's such a weird... Anyway. You just did the same thing I, everybody, everybody else did. did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's in The Evening Star for a minute, but then we realized when we were all emailing about the movies, we're like, oh, he's not really in it, so maybe we should add... So anyway. It's kind of a cameo. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a cameo. So he's in The Evening Star for a minute, uh, sequel to Terms of Endearment, like we said, and then finally Sean Penn directed him for the second time in a movie called The Pledge. 2001 the pledge in which he makes pledges um we're gonna talk about briefly 2010's how do you know because he's also in that directed by james l brooks the movie probably the last movie james l brooks will ever make probably the last movie jack will make right yeah Yeah. right right. well it's the last one he was in yeah Yeah. as of this recording he has not done another i mean which 2020 came out 2010 so it's been 10 years i mean which is crazy so before we talk about um the two jakes i katie tell me about writing for podcasts I, okay. i'm just curious because we were talking about before we we run this podcast it's a small operation you know we're still doing our thing and you know doing the stuff for the film stage what is it like give me like a sense of uh you know the world of that well i i think it's probably different for a bunch of different podcasts because you know they're the scripted world of podcasts and the you know, sit down in front of a mic and just shoot the shit for a while right, style right, of podcast. Right. They exist together. You know what I mean? And there's also like the fiction world, which is entirely different. But the podcast I write for Masters of Scale is a nonfiction but scripted podcast. And so what happens is I help research our upcoming interview guests and then uh, we prepare a dossier on them for our host. Our host does the interview and then we work together, uh, you know, and when I say together, it's like myself and then there are several other producers uh, who come in and do, you know, take on redrafting the script that I've made. But I make like the first draft, the second draft, and then right. a bunch of different people come in and there one time there can be seven or eight people on the same Google Doc, like making little notes like, oh, is we need to fact check this or, um, you know, like, oh, that you know, I can really hear the audio that will go along underneath that. After we've done the rough, you know, the first pass of the script, there's going to be um, a rough assembly. And then, you know, our um, our CEO and sort of head producer like listens to it all. And then um, we make adjustments after that. Sometimes the story has to take a new direction because in our case, mm. each script is an I mean, each show is an interview, but it's also proving a business theory. Right. So it's Do you have to adjusting. react sometimes to like new i mean is there is there adjustments to like oh this just happened we need to adjust or yeah sometimes 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 i mean if if there's something that comes out of the news and we've already done the interview then you can definitely script something in to say to address it you know yeah i always think it's interesting because you know i I, to your point about the freewheeling thing there's obviously a lot of podcasts that have that format but even this i mean you know me and connor talk about this i mean you know you do the two Jakes, you do all these movies, you end up reading, I, I feel like, more than you ever think. You know what I mean? I yeah. end up reading like movie, a lot of movie reviews, you know, the development stuff. And we're very freewheeling, of course. So I just think it's interesting that like you're providing such a structure, right? That I feel like some sometimes when you think about a podcast, you don't you take it for granted. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. like the writing part of it. Right. right. So when you when we were talking about it before the podcast, I was like, oh, that's interesting. It, it makes I think it makes the most sense if you think about it more like 
a piece you would find, a long format piece you'd find on NPR. You're right. Because that's right. kind of the family it came from. And NPR, of course, like there are so many podcasts that came from that world that were just on the radio before, and now they are on demand. But that's really the only difference. Now, I'm going to segue by saying a movie that probably could have used one more pass <laughs> at its writing oh, man. is The Two Jakes, yeah. which is directed by Jack Nicholson, which we kind of alluded to, and is written by Robert Town, and is a sequel to Chinatown, which is, of course, a classic, came out in 1974. Uh, Faye Dunaway's in that movie playing, I think she's Catherine Mulray, right? That's, no. Oh, no. Catherine no, Mulray Ca is... Catherine Mulray is her sister, her daughter. Her right, sister, I'm sorry. Her daughter. She's yeah. Ev famously. She famously. Ev <laughs> is she Evelyn Mulray? She is Evelyn okay, Mulray. Okay, thank yeah. you. Okay. So that's Chinatown, 74, Roman Polanski, Jack Nicholson, right? It's all about the water, right? All about the L.A. water. And Spoilers. Film, right? Well, Spoilers for the classic <laughs> film, Chinatown, I guess. But is no. it? When does the water... When do you uh, the water? Uh, That's a lie. It's Incredibly relatively early. early. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it tees up you. the plot now, of the movie. I, I, I went ahead and I watched Chinatown again because it is... At one point, it was, I declared, my favorite movie, despite the fact that I'd seen it twice as opposed to the hundreds of times you were supposed to see your favorite movie. Sure, sure. Because there was a time in you know, my early 20s when I was like... Well, my favorite movie's got to be a good one. It can't be just something mm -hmm. like just some shit that just came out. And yeah, living, yeah. You know, like, so I was like, Chinatown's my favorite movie. But it was also really, really well made. I mean, right. I, I watched it again the other day and was like, that's, damn, that's, that's a good movie, yeah. which you forget because I feel like the theme that may start threading itself through is I feel like there's so much of Jack Nicholson's work and especially the classic work that just would not even get made today like would not fly well, today like sure. a lot of it is highly problematic for so many reasons sure sure not least of which is roman polanski himself right right and i think one one thing we'll talk about that kind of flows through at least the almost four out of the five movies that we're going to touch on is there's so much plot yeah like <laughs> in every one of these movies i felt like and anyway so with that being said the two jakes 1990 16 years after the original like we said, Jack's directing, produced by Robert Evans, written by Robert Town. Now, the development of this is almost as interesting as the movie, and as the case in a lot of these B-sides. So they make Chinatown. It's a big success. Town, Robert Town, writes a sequel, The Two Jakes. In the mid-80s, they were minutes away from making the movie. But what was happening was Robert Evans, who's the famous producer who only recently passed away last year in 2019 was insisting that he play the second Jake because he was an actor briefly. Um, oh, that's the, interesting. The, the, if you remember his autobiography that became the great documentary, The Kid Stays in the Picture, that is a reference to he plays the bullfighter in the uh, adaptation of The Sun Also Rises and the producers wanted to fire Robert Evans because they didn't think he was doing a good job and the director said the kid stays in the picture, right? So Robert Evans was for a moment an actor and then he became more of a producer, famously. I'm gonna keep saying famously because that's what I've been, I always say it and that's what people tell me and that's fine. Um, so- Don't add him. Don't, well, add me, I mean, go ahead, you can add. Add away, it's 2020, we're, we're doing our best here. Um, for all we hate, for all we know, Donald Trump is out of office. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but but um, so anyway, Evans wanted to play the role. Jack Nicholson, as I understand it, was okay with it begrudgingly. And Town was kind of iffy about his abilities. That ended up coming to a head like right before they're going to film. Uh, Evans gets fired off of the acting part of it. And then 
Nichols had wanted to push forward and make it anyway, but Paramount was nervous and pulled the plug. So then a few years go by and ultimately Nicholson jumps in to direct the movie himself, right? Because I think Town was going to direct the two Jakes. Interesting. But as a director, Town was didn't want to work with Evans as an actor because he didn't believe in his ability. Anyway, okay. so by the time they make it, Nicholson's directing. It's still the it's still town script. Evans still has a producer credit, and the second Jake becomes Harvey Keitel. Yeah, and for the movie the, comes out for the better. I, I think, well, I mean, I, definitely, I think Harvey Keitel's really good. Harvey Keitel is really certainly is. a bright spot in the movie. Yeah. Um. So Wikipedia says the budget's nineteen million. Sure, it makes around ten. Eh. Right. It comes out August. August 1990, which just speaks to just we always go into like summer movies from 20, 30 years ago are yeah. so weird. Like it's a different coming uh, this August, the two Jakes, you know, like, it does feel like a weird time for that movie to come I mean, out. You I thought mean, there was one Jake. Any time would have been a weird. I, I mean, so, OK, I I like I will say I actually I basically enjoy this movie in the way of so we this same year, as a matter of fact, which is funny. This is the same year Godfather three comes out. Oh, wow. So speaking of unnecessary sequels, but yeah. I always defend Godfather 3 because my opinion of Godfather 3 is similar to my opinion of the two Jakes, which is, okay, as a sequel to Chinatown, it is, you are wanting more because Chinatown is a masterpiece. Sure. Okay. But I think as a standalone neo-noir movie with some fun performances and some convoluted plotting, I enjoyed it. And I always say that about Godfather 3. If Godfather 3 is not Godfather 3, if it's just a mafia movie. I it's a, I enjoy the movie. Anna Garcia is great in it. The Joe Mantegna performance is crazy, right? There's fun stuff in it, but unfortunately, when you're when you, obviously it's you're, a high you're digging yeah. your own grave, doing yeah. it, of course. So yeah. I'm not really you know uh, you know letting them off the hook. I'm just saying, as its own movie, I find both movies to be entertaining. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say that the first 25 minutes were pretty captivating of, of the two Jakes. Yeah. yeah, I thought were pretty good. I was like, oh, I mean, I remember this getting kind of a bad rap, but mm. maybe not. Yeah, and then he hits that moment 25 minutes in, I think, when the flashbacks start coming, and you start. He starts going through old files. Yeah, he starts going through all Chinatown. pictures. Yeah, and then you see the Chinatown flashbacks coming and. He's like, whoa, and the camera goes all funny, and he's just like, he's back in the past. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the movie also just loses steam instantly. And so everything else gets more convoluted. Everything else, like, sort of, like, it's all wrapped around, like, where's Catherine Mulray? What happened to her? And it's just, it's leaning very heavily on nostalgia that one character is experiencing. Or I don't know if he's really experiencing nostalgia, but, like, he's, you know, and this movie only exists because of a certain breed of nostalgia that thinks that if you have a classic, then if you have more of it, then it's going to get better. Sure. And, and it's weird. Cause I, so I, to that exact point, I bring up Godfather three, mm -hmm. same year, 1990, the same year, also 1990, September, 1990, Columbia pictures distributes Texasville, which is the sequel to the last, the last picture, picture show, show yeah. which also I believe came out in 1974 around then. Isn't that crazy? Like in 1990, people were just like, you know, what we need those movies from 1974. Let's give them sequels. It's, well, right. We can it's only like get year some of, of the cast back. It's the year of the anyway. legacy sequel, right? Yeah. Like it's very weird. But, well, is it none weird? of them did well. Is it weird though? Because Godfather I want you, I want you to know that back to back yesterday, I watched trailers for Wonder Woman 1984 and the new Ghostbusters. Oh, right. yeah. Sure, you know, that, which no, was made in 1984. Yeah, I mean, like those are right, both heavily right, right. nostalgic. 
things. You know, returns. And then you yeah. think of Stranger Things and it happening basically, you mm-hmm. know, back to back. There's like the Stephen king and on all that. Like we go through waves of heavy nostalgia periods. It's true. And I mean, frankly, all of our, you know, not all, but a lot of our big entertainment now relies significantly upon that right with what with star wars i was just gonna say yeah yeah, the last star war is happening like as we speak you know it's probably a huge hit yeah (laughs) we're recording this just as uh we've been lying to you this whole time it's Uh, well you know you're listening in 2020 it's a time machine sure um but no it's a good point Legacy sequels, that's a good phrase. Just to correct myself, Last Picture Show came out in 71. So, but it's just interesting. Texasville, Two Jakes, and Godfather 3. But to your point, yeah, it's well, and also to your point, it always reminds me like people go, like, Oh my gosh, like the sequels now, it's such a problem. And it is true because it's way more prevalent, but it's always been there, right? Yeah, for sure. The difference, I suppose, is the sequels used to not be as successful as they are now. Like, that's yeah. the problem. Right. Maybe like, that's the pand- it. like the pandering works now. Well, and be- like, I think partly because it's we live this more episodic. We cram seasons. You know what I mean? If you're making like a lot of movies, a lot of franchises, speaking of Star Wars, what have you, the Marvel movies, of course, they're episodic. They're kind of TV shows framed in a cinematic lens. I mean, that's- yeah. And I, well, and I think the other thing, too, is, you know, per- particularly with the nostalgia of it all, that you're you're making movies sometimes by committee of the internet right like you are you are given this live feedback of oh this is a thing that we want or this is a thing we do not want right 100%. whereas you know in 90 or the mid 80s when you're trying to make a sequel to Chinatown presumably the only three people in the room who want that are Evans Nicholson and Town right right with the gamble obviously that maybe more people want it right Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and obviously the content boom that we're in right now was just not possible that I mean, like sure. right now, you know, if you have a TV show that's going off the air and you're sad about it, make a big enough noise about it and it will land on Netflix or somewhere else. Yeah, somewhere you know what else, I mean? Yeah. And we haven't even begun to see the, the like the expanse is 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 only going to grow given that like all of the the streaming wars have just basically begun. Like yeah. we haven't really seen the heyday of it sure. yet. So, all right, Connor. Yeah. Explain the plot of the two jigs. <laughs> oh fuck. Okay. Um, and try to do it quickly because you know. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll do it. We as, all have as, to do last minute Christmas shopping yeah. once again. I'm breaking the facade of it. <laughs> we. I mean, we just told everybody how podcasts. I will just. Are I will, so it's. I, I, I will fun. preface it with this. So if Chinatown was about water, this this one's about mineral rights and oil. Well, right? that one that and, one is about water. This one's about gas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was a um there was a planned if this had been a hit. If this had been a hit, there was a planned third part that was going to be called Giddis v. Giddis. Right. About him going through divorce. That was sort of the gonna be the just general framework. But while that was going on, I think that one was gonna be about the pollution, like the air, like it was gonna be like a like an earth water air type thing okay, uh anyway okay. yeah um there's an interview i forget i i have was. this it's a, there's an mtv interview where nicholson talks about it i'm gonna i'm gonna find if there's anything interesting to, while you describe yeah. the plot there's an interview he gave where he kind of talked it's like the most he'd ever talked about it with basically. josh horowitz in 07 yeah he had to give a rare interview probably when the bucket list was coming out mm-hmm. you guys remember 
the bucket list. You know what's funny? I don't think about the bucket list when I hear like the title. I always think of that joke in Easy Easy A, A. where Stanley Tucci's like, "Oh, we should watch the bucket list, so we can cross watch the bucket list off of our bucket list." Easy A. Uh, I like that movie. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so the two Jakes. uh, (laughs) Basically. Jake Giddis, since Chinatown, has established him sort of an even as you know an even bigger detective with a larger firm, essentially, um, and is representing uh, is representing Harvey Keitel, who is also named Jake. Two of them, Jake Berman. Thank you, and uh, and Harvey Keitel basically is you know having uh, Giddis follow his his wife Kitty. And uh, who's who's having an affair with another man who it is revealed is uh, is Harvey Keitel's partner. Now, this is revealed only after Harvey Keitel, with the help of Giddis and his partners, st- storms in on them having sex. And one thing leads to another. And uh, he winds up shooting the other man whose name is. It's Bodine. Thank you. Because it's it's Berman and Bodine, B&B. Right. And that is revealed not too long after that their partners suddenly it becomes very problematic because Giddis realizes he's been roped into this thing to potentially just help Harvey Keitel off his partner for business purposes. Um, and but wait, there's more. <laughs> so much more. So much more. Um <laughs> It is, you know, as things go along, it is then uh, revealed that this sort of directly relates to a land deal that they were working on to to uh, essentially get oil out from underneath a development that uh, Berman and Bodine were working on. Right. Bodine was sort of working against Berman under the table with some uh, oil magnate there's richard, a tycoon richard yeah. farnsworth yes yeah a real a real cowboy looking richard farnsworth yeah. really leathery chewing, has one really hair. chewing scene where uh, he gives this whole speech about oil and it's just like oil. i do love how in that scene with farnsworth um jj get his jake get is like that's such bullshit. Like, like yeah. at the end of that really kind of nice monologue jack goes is like go fuck yourself like yeah. he's like you're <laughs> lying i love it uh so that's sort of what ultimately gets revealed. But wait, there's more. So much more. Do we then, get to the gangsters? Well, because then... <laughs> oh, Ruben Blades. Oh, you know what? Actually, I fucking totally forgot about that. <gasps> you forgot uh, about No, he's kind of Mickey good Nice. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> Mickey so Nice. There are gangsters involved. Uh, played One played by Ruben Blades, who I think is pretty good in this. Yeah, I he's think kinda, everyone's he's, good. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, you know. And... Uh, they're somehow involved also in this exchange well, of they're helping with the exchange of land. Well, they're working with Berman. Right. But they're working with Berman to help seamlessly exchange the land and sort of get us follows these documents and realize that the land once belonged to uh, Catherine Mulray. Well, and, is, and Noah Cross. Or well, Noah, yes. Well, yeah, uh, do it. So Noah Cross is... Uh, the big the big rich man who basically used to own the water supply of right. Los Angeles, which we know from, from Chinatown. Chinatown. And that's yeah. John she, Houston. John Houston. Chinatown. And he is the father of Faye Dunaway's character, Evelyn Mulray, who um, met her bitter end at the end of Chinatown. Right. Catherine Mulray, her daughter, sister, daughter, daughter sister. watched uh, uh. 
Evelyn Mulray die. And now she's kind of in the wind. Like, yeah. Jake has been trying, Jake has been trying to find her basically to like look in, make sure she's okay. He feels responsible and he has been trying to find her. And then her name pops up on a recording of the shooting of the the place where, yeah, where Kaitel's character kills his business associate. You hear something about Catherine Mulray. Jake Giddis is all like pops up like, what, what, what? Uh And and now that he's got another cause and he's got another thing to investigate, but then the gangsters come and then they want the tape and then somebody else wants the tape and everybody wants the tape. tape. There's like two lawyers. Eli Walk plays a lawyer who wants the tape. Frederick Forrest plays a lawyer who wants the tape. You know, it's like this thing of that's the 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 McGuffney thing. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, the craziest thing is is back again from Chinatown. And we didn't even talk about how David Keith plays the son yes. of the guy who shot yeah. Faye Dunaway. Why is that in the movie? Yeah. And there are a couple things that are... I didn't. I, he, it comes up in the movie, they get in a fight in the police yes. station. Yep. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. That's... I was like... Who? D- David Keith plays yeah. a snotty cop who is the son of the man who shot Evelyn Mulray. And then uh, Jake Gittes beats the shit out of him. And also... There is Tom Waits in an uncredited policeman's yes. role, just yeah. standing by, just hanging out, having a couple of lines. Tommy Waits, yeah. <laughs> um, wild, wild. The and then there's the Madeline Stowe, like, and I don't. She's Bodine's. She is Bodine's w- widow, 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 right? right. Died, yeah. What is she doing in this movie, though? Like, same, same year's Revenge. No, no, no. no just, and I don't mean just that. Just to say, weird year for Stowe. I don't I'm mean that. Nineteen ninety is a weird year for Stowe. I, I don't but mean that as a direct in 1990. Oh no, she's sure. on the come up. I just mean two very weird roles. Like she's playing yes. this. She's you know, playing kind of like a wild. She's kind of a wild child. Like she loses her. Like she loses her shit when she finds out about her right. husband. But also she's unfaithful as well. And then there is a an incredibly awkward sex scene with her. It's the and worst. <laughs> and what's weird is yeah, it, Connor like basically <laughs> couldn't finish the movie. Connor said it because he's like, I almost turned it off. I couldn't. I, no, I, uh, it is. It, so basically there's a scene where they sit down and she's like, I want to hear the recording. Right. Right. Jack Nicholson's like, I don't think that's a good idea. There's a lot of Jack Nicholson in this movie going, I don't think that's a good idea. And then immediately going, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but and I, one thing else to that point, I'll, the only performance, I'll be honest, the only performance I didn't really like in this movie was Jack Nicholson's performance. I don't like, and Madeline, this is, so. and this is why I didn't like, I so, used to love Madeline Stowe. I had I a little girl Jack, crush on her when I was growing up. I yeah. thought she was the prettiest lady in the I mean, she was very oh, exceedingly beautiful. beautiful. But yeah. also like in that, I mean, I just, I, I just liked her. I liked her so much. <laughs> I I liked how um so w- something I like about Chinatown is that Jake Giddis isn't actually a very good private detective. Sure. Right? That's a great part. That th- that's something I enjoy about noirs, right? Is in a lot of noirs the detectives are cool, but actually not very good at their job, right? right. They, they miss obvious things and what have you and you know whatnot. And Chinatown is a great version of that because he he's okay at his job, but he misses obvious things. And by the end of the movie, you kind of go like, dude, this was right there the whole time. Yeah. It took you this long. And two Jakes doubles down on that. Like he is, he's, he's too old. He's too fat. Like he doesn't have the jump on anybody. Like the smartest thing he does is like conceal the recording, which is like basically half lucky. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And- I like that. But unfortunately I felt like Nicholson was kind of phoning it in. And it reminded me of that Warren Beatty quote, or, or something along the lines of like Ben Affleck talked to Warren Beatty when he was directing Argo about any tips. And Beatty had a great thing about when Beatty directed, he realized early on he would 
he would short shrift his takes as an actor because he would be like, okay, I know I can do this. I'll, I'll do it in two takes and we'll save the day and keep on schedule. And then in the editing room, he would realize like he would, he didn't give as good of a performance as he wanted to give. And I feel like you get a little bit with of that with Nicholson in this I movie where you're kind of like, there's so much going on. It's a very convoluted screenplay. Thanks, Bob Town. And it's like... It does feel weird to be like, yeah, you know, shut up, Robert Town. Like, yeah, one, of the, one great, of the greats. One, one of the greats. greats. I mean, lest we forget, he's right now writing Days of Thunder. <laughs> what? He wrote Days of Thunder. That's right. That the Tom Cruise he's, friendship. He is, look, yeah. he's, the he's mid nineties Tom Cruise friendship. He is a wonderful screenwriter. Oh, he's yeah. one of my like that. That's really what yeah. sold that movie for me because I was just like, he's my writing hero for a long time. He is sure. one of my he's writing heroes. Wonderful. Yeah. But uh, but this needed another couple of passes. There's just so many turns and so many like forties names. Yeah. Like God. there's yeah. you know Bodine, Otley, or Mickey. You know and, Mickey Nice. Yeah. And, Kitty. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. I wanted to mention Otley. Because yes. I just I realized this. Otley, sorry, Otley is Tracy Walter, who's also in Going South, which is Jack Nicholson's second movie he made. And the guy Van Dyke Parks did the score for this movie and for Going South. So you know, Jack, Jack is good to his friends. It, 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 well, it, that it, will be a running theme. That today. yeah, yeah, there it, it actually will. But Jack basically, as so as this movie goes along, oh, yeah, like James L. Brooks, yeah. as yes. this as this movie goes along, <laughs> uh, it is revealed. That Kitty is not Kitty. Kitty is Catherine Mulray. Dun, dun, dun. Which is like... Egg Tilly, baby. Of course she is. It almost weird... I mean, and to your point, Dan, it's it's just weird that like Jack Nicholson just like didn't... Because he meets her. He meets her like well, as Kitty. Well, they do this thing where there's a photo of a blonde woman and he's like, who's the blonde woman? Who's the blonde woman? And it's like, well, it's... It's her. Well, they keep, yeah, right. Like, well, they keep putting her in cleverly disguised facial. Like right. They wrap up, wrap she up her the, hair. She has. She has. She has a, she has a, a yeah. facial mask, a mud the, mask right, on right, at one point. Mask, right, 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 and, sure. and maybe my favorite period detail of the entire thing. It's when she's in the salon getting her blonde hair dyed red, and she's in a room that says on the front for redheads only. It's like, when did they do that in salons? <laughs> I guess they did, but yeah. that was a wild the, detail. I was like, good job, our team. It, it's almost one of those. A lot of good art. A lot There's of a good, lot of good yeah. art. Like Katie's a great I, art for us. I, I, I am a sometime art director, so sometimes I'm just looking at like, wow, that's a lot of brands. I get compliments. Like, <laughs> you, Katie, you made a newspaper for us for one of our shorts. I still get compliments on that. Really? I should, I should, yeah, I showed a buddy of mine the short regular we made, and he was like, who did the... Uh, who did that paper in, in your short? I was like, oh, our good friend Katie did that. Available for her. Available for her. <laughs> you heard it, folks. But um, ah, yeah, two jakes. Yeah, I don't know. I what I basically li- I basically like this movie, but um, I um, honestly think if you plucked out that shitty, terrible Madeline Stowe sex scene, that's like the most awkward weird oh, thing in the world. God, because uh, it, it serves no purpose. And there's whatsoever. just like a shot. There's one shot of like fingers going, but. Betwixt her skin and the and her buttocks, nylon right? I- underwear, yeah, like the silk. It's so kind gross. Of oh. it's, like yeah. it, yeah, it was weird. hideous. Yeah, and at one point, he she's got garter belts on, and he's like, Ugh, "Take all that off." Well, and you he's take like that sweating. Off. He's like, "There's oh, so God. much." He's, he's like, "There's so much work." There's <laughs> he's sweating the whole time. Jack Nicholson is just like covered in some sheen. He wouldn't of, let like, makeup come in and take the time to do last looks. Like, he was just like, "Keep rolling." There are moments. There's a scene where he wakes up in his office. He's a little delirious, and there is a like you can just see just the sweat just. Uh, dangling on his jowl it's so gross well, but also, i kind of yeah. love it it's like 
it's it is a detail. It is a like I, it's, I we're it in purposeful. LA. Oh no no. Well, no I, well, I, also, I, but I but this is one of the things. Like he, w- I mean, it was kind of nice to see that he wasn't always like landing every punch or anything. Mm-hmm. But right. he gets beat up so much he has so yeah. many concussions in the first hour i was like this man is gonna die not <laughs> he's not gonna remember Catherine yeah. mulray because he right. will not not yeah. only does he get beat up he gets blown up and is <laughs> oh. shockingly i mean he's, he's shockingly a little yeah. but he's shockingly attacked now yeah. just to get back to the trilogy we talked yes, about please in the Horowitz interview, uh, he asked him about Chinatown. Was it was always meant to be a trilogy. And Nicholson says, we always plan on making three films. We wanted it all to be tied into elemental things. Chinatown is obviously water. The two Jakes is fire and energy. And the third film was meant to be about Giddy's divorce and relate to air. So like you said, kind of pollution and what have you. Yeah, so I think that, that was, was going to be like the corporate. Like, it's uh, kind of the story of yeah. Los Angeles yeah. and yeah. its development, which is one of the things I loved about Chinatown. I was like, oh, yeah, that's really I mean, look, good. One of my favorite movies lesson. ever, 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 ever is LA Confidential, which is similarly a movie about, you know, the corrupt, you know, the city of angels and the corrupt, you know, structure it's built on and what have you. So. I mean, I think we're all kind of agreeing with it. I think the two Jakes as its own thing, there's a lot to appreciate, though. You know, there's a couple scenes that are just kind of a little wayward. And Nicholson, I personally think, is a little lost in front of the lens, which is a weird thing to say about such a great actor. But I do think it's last thing I'll say is I do think he was a talented director. Right. I I was able to catch some of going south uh, as we were kind of prepping for this. A fun movie. I have not seen Drive, he said. He, he knew what he was doing behind a camera more than, you know, your usual, you know, actor, actress who wants to, you know, take a shot at it. I think yeah, and he even, had the chops. Even with the two Jakes, which is, you know, I haven't seen his other two movies. I'm assuming his most polished, right? Yeah, it's uh, really his most like uh, there's so his most his most things going on, right? In yeah, terms right. of just like I don't may, maybe not his biggest budget, but I would have to imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in terms of just and it, I mean, so yeah, there's a capability there, and I think as a as a piece of like the genre, it's definitely worth watching. Um, but as uh, to your point, as a sequel, to, w- once the Chinatown of it all seeps into it, is where you're kind of like, okay. Like, can't this just be a Jake Giddis detective movie? Like, that would be fine. Yeah, totally. Just be another case, like just a different thing. Right. Um, Uh, The last thing I'll say about it, Easter egg wise. Sure. um, There is a recurrent. There is uh, the actor Alan Warnick, who does not have a ton of roles. I think 13 to his entire career. Mm -hmm. Um, He is the guy who has his jaw wired shut in the notary public. Like, he's the notary. His jaw's wired shut because some... Other people had come asking around with the same questions. Jake Giddis has asked him, and then he said too much, and then they broke his jaw. Okay. But he is also the snooty Hall of Records guy in Chinatown, who at that, you know, when, when it was filmed, he was, oh, God, it had to be early 20s, pencil thin, and had visible raised pimples that I, I'm not sure if they were makeup or just disgusting greasy zits. And he is... Like aggressively snooty for no damn reason. Like when Jake Giddis comes in and he's like, like needs the the names of the people who are on the land deeds for the recent land that's been sold, and he goes in and he tries to get them and he and he's asking if he can make, get a copy made. And then the uh, the guy was like, "Sir, this is not a lending library. This is the Hall of Records." Ah. And it's like so yeah. aggressive. And yeah. you're like, "Who is that guy? Is he like a friend? What's happening?" And then he came back as the as the annoyed and um and slightly less snooty but still also snooty notary public now is like, there's the, a story there is it Jack. the same it's character though i don't think so like it's not meant so. is it meant to be like he was working in the hall of records and he's like i'm just gonna be a notary after this like, maybe this is, 
I mean, uh, it's possible, but they yeah. did not treat it like that. He did right. not so treat him funny. like he had mean him. So he's just yeah. like another small little... An- another snooty That's guy behind funny. a desk. That's curious. <laughs> I wonder who he would have been in Giddis v. Giddis had it happened. Snooty. <laughs> just um, one of the divorce lawyers. Yeah. Would have been a, I don't a, even think he would be a divorce like, He would something. have to be somebody <laughs> in the administrative right. back rooms. Yeah. yeah. What people don't realize is marriage stories really actually Giddis v. Giddis. Oh. Bombeck <laughs> just took the script and just changed the names. Right? Yeah, that's all. Um, all right. So moving on. Moving on. Uh, a mere two years later, 1992. Now, I, this is one I wanted to do. Because I knew about this movie, I'd never seen it. Um, the movie's called Man Trouble. How did you know about no, this I'll movie? I'll tell you how. Because, I mean, I'll tell you how. Because one of my favorite movies is Five, Five Easy Pieces, which came out in 1970 and is directed by Bob Ravelson, stars Jack Nicholson, and is written by Carol Eastman. Okay. When I was a younger man and I watched that movie, it was like one of those movies, where, not unlike LA Confidential, all the other movies we, we've brought up on the B-side. I was like, oh my God, who can... You can make a movie like this where it's just about a piano prodigy who's like, you know, he's he's just traveling around like a, you're just taking odd jobs and it's just a total character exploration and there's no real plot and he meets Karen Black. You know, it was the first one of those movies I saw where I was like, oh, you can do this, you know, when I was however, however old. So I fell in love with like Bob Ravelson and of course, Jack Nicholson. And I watched stuff like King of Marvin Gardens and other movies like that. And I, I think this is the only Mantrop was the only Bob Ravelson movie I had not seen, and it's written by Carol Eastman, it stars Jack Nicholson, and it's directed by Bob Ravelson. So it is like the collaborative creative team of Five Easy Pieces, twenty two years later, doing like a Ernst Lubitsch style farce <laughs> from that would be in the thirties, but instead is nineteen ninety two. And just does not work in the same way. I mean, you have the in animals, and you know, I found myself enjoying portions of it because it was so weird. If I'm being honest, but as a whole, it's not really a movie, right? I mean, it's basically. Do you want to take a crack at the plot, Katie? While you're well, Connor, Con- a, Connor did two jakes. Let me, let me give it a natural? shot, and right. I do not have any kind of Wikipedia in front of me, so correct me if I'm wrong. It okay, is so- as convoluted as two jakes, I'd say, <laughs> if not more. If not and- more, because at least two jakes, you have the context of Chinatown, and at least you know right. two jakes yeah. that they're two jakes, right? <laughs> they say it's it in the first scene. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, we're both look. jakes. Yeah, yep. two jakes. That's right, two jakes. Two jakes. I mean, oh my god, this is the first scene. It is the first minute. It's like anyway, it's hard open. Okay, Kytel, so so on. Man Trouble, um, it stars Jack Nicholson and Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin plays a mousy, timid soprano for the local symphony orchestra. Um, and I want to say, I mean, this was set in L.A., right? Wasn't it? It seemed yeah. like, yeah, yeah. He's in Beverly Hills. Yeah, yeah. she's in the hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah because right. the house is because that's Hollywood right. It's in, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I, of course. So she plays, I guess, for the L.A. Symphony. Sure. Um, yeah. Let's say. And when we open, she is in a state because her apartment has been broken into, everything has been trashed, and she is scared. Like, nothing seems to be stolen, so someone's just messing with her. And in the first beat, the policeman is like, well, does anyone not like you? I bet nobody, like, you seem very attractive, you seem very nice, but does somebody not like you? And she's like, I don't know. And, and, and it is immediately disconcerting to watch Ellen Barkin, ballsy, wonderful Ellen Barkin, yeah. play this, like, little mouse cartoon of a person. She has a sister, Beverly D'Angelo, who's, like, a socialite-slash-writer who is currently writing about a mysterious kind of bad boy 
named Red Lyles, I think. I think that's right. And right, and she had a relationship. You she had a relationship come to find with out. Him. It's like a tell-all. She story. has a tell-all. It's an expose, yeah, and she's yeah, like yeah. been with this powerful man who has like who has a huge reach, and it's going to be, and like she has sent a copy of this book to Ellen Barkin, but nobody can find it now. So like maybe there's something going on with her apartment being trashed because of the book, or maybe not. But she's about to go to chase Red Lyles in New York or somewhere. And just let me just quickly preface. You can bet your ass that Red Lyles is going to be played by an actor who's one of Jack Nicholson's friends. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, continue. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, so Ellen Bargain's like, well, I can't stay in my apartment anymore. So I, she gets to stay in this beautiful, like mansion type Hollywood Hills, beautiful home that Beverly D'Angelo, the sister is abandoning to go off to her quest so she gets to stay there and she gets there and then finds that it's actually scarier out there number one because there is a slasher going around in the hollywood hills subplot subplot and um and and all beverly d'angelo's exes are showing all of the weird exes like she you know like Like the tree tree guy the tree trimmer this disgusting tree trimmer who like decides to like show up at 11 p.m to get some and And they do they yeah there's these like weird horror movies that's like an in there's joke always, in the movie. Yeah, there's always a weird horror uh, movie playing in the background yeah. that's just like women getting slashed to bits. And so Ellen Barkin's getting more and more scared. And she gets she sees a flyer coming out of her symphony practice. And um, and it's a flyer for a guard dog company, Harry Bliss's guard dog company. And so Harry Bliss, played by Jack Nicholson. Is that what his last name is? Yeah. Bliss. Well, you find out that's not you really. You find out it's not really. Oh, sorry. So, so he's kind of a con man, you find out yeah. instantly. He's sort of like just trying to keep it all afloat because the, like dogs, the dogs aren't his dog. The dog is a borrowed dog. and But he's like, oh, yeah, this is the guard dog to the stars. This is actually the best trained dog in the whole country. So he shows up mustachioed. A little sweaty because it's like early yeah. paunch, like early middle age oh, kind yeah. of situation. Well, not early middle age, I guess solid. I mean, no, he's too Jake sweaty. I mean, he's, yeah. He's got, yeah, he I mean, shows up with the paunch and the, and the mustache, and I had to remind myself that in 1992, a mustache didn't immediately signal fucking creep. <laughs> like, I guess. I guess. I guess. But I don't know. My dad had a mustache like all through okay. the 90s, and it was yeah. so I guess. Well, like my father-in-law has a mustache, and I don't regard him like that. I mean, he, he's but he shows up looking like yeah. the creepiest creep to he, ever creep yeah he looks and, uh yeah jack nicholson looks creepy but that's not her reaction her reaction is Charmed. oh someone has come to save me yeah. and it's ellen i just it's ellen barkin well like, look this is the period it, of time where barkin she's working with it's weird she's working with good directors like she's working with like people like blake edwards she's working with yeah. people like bob ravelson but it's like they're past their prime or it's the wrong movies and she kind of never and then she had her horrible divorce by that terrible producer who like made her life a living hell like so she the 90s are a bad period of professional time and personal time for Ellen Barkin and I think you're getting into this like it's a bummer because she's it's so a good. bummer because she's so good and she's so she's good in this lovely. I yeah no I she's mean, really lo- this... she's doing a great job if I did not know that actor I'd be like where did they find yeah. that mousy like beautiful but mousy timid little person and, yeah. you know and and she's supposed to sort of like find her strength so he's coaching her he's like this is how you walk with the dog the dog has german commands which feels real wrong and like there's there's a bunch of like the only i feel like we've watched all of these movies and you can maybe count four people of color in all of them mm. and like, like unless you count the background in chinatown but they have like they have a she has a a housekeeper that she's like no no don't leave i need you to stay and they're like lady she's got to go home she's got a home her son, played by the actor's name I'm forgetting, but will then become, 
Oh, Tom who's the big, who, no, no, no. Who's the big, the like the first big gangster that they deal with in Breaking Bad? Uh, Chupo? Oh, oh. Is yeah, right? yeah. I think also yeah, in Training Day, like that. the like the psycho, yes, the psycho yes, Cholo the, and Britain. Yes, 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 yes. That's, I'm forgetting that actor. That yes. is that actor. He, I'll, I'll find her right now. I'll find. I find him every time. He is the best. I love him. I can't remember. He's in the car. He's in the car, and he's the son in, of the housekeeper. In, in, he's the like, son of the housekeeper. Right. You know, he's like, my mom's gotta go home. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I'll get his name. Keep, yeah, yeah, keep please. going. I'll get his. So, um, so yeah, so she's getting charmed by the wiles of Jack Nicholson. Who is it? It's sorry. I want to make sure Raymond Cruz. Okay. His name is Raymond Cruz. I'm gonna right. triple confirm training day. Yeah, he's yeah, in, yeah. yeah, he's in Britain. So <laughs> so so yeah, so she's getting charmed by Harry Bliss, quote unquote, who's giving her these dog lessons and t- telling her how to like man this German shepherd who's like like legitimately a beast, you know. And he and the dog is gonna scare away the intruders. But then intruders keep happening. There's like a guy who comes out with an axe and like tries to chop her, chop her car up and like try to chop her up, I guess, and start strangling her. The dog is stuck inside the house and uh and and he comes over last minute. He's like, well, you know, why did, where was the dog? She's like, he's inside the house. He's like, no, she'll be with you at all times and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, they start having a thing. Having a thing. Now he's married, of course. He's married to Lauren Tom. Right. But it's like a, is it a real marriage? I, I, I It's kind of a green party like, marriage, yes, that, but also he wanted to stay in her place. So it's kind of, like, like they're going to couples therapy. Well, yeah, that whole part... I found, yeah, it was like, what is the actual arrangement here? Is it like a green card for a place to stay? They're going scenario? to couples therapy. Though. I know. And Maybe. he keeps calling her Iwo Jima because none of these, <laughs> none of these are okay. That was tough. That was. Tough. I will say that at least, admittedly tough. In, but at least in the movie, she takes issue with it. Yes, right, she's right. at least like, she's like, don't, like, don't do that. She said, don't do that. But she does it in like in in her range of like. Non, you know, like yeah. like like heavily accented, yes, like yes. you know that I can't. I'm not even going to do it right nope. here because I'm not going. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> no, can't do it. Won't do it. Anyway, um, so so yeah, so basically, Ellen Barkin's falling for this con man, but then the con man is really falling for her. But then he's in this stuck situation. He gets approached by Red Lyles's people, being like, "You need to find that manuscript and destroy it." And he's like, "Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take your money, even though he desperately needs their money." And so he's like rejecting the offers of Red Lyles, who is eventually we see played by Harry Dean Stanton. Who's a friend of Jack Nicholson. Yeah, which I mean, obviously Harry Dean Stanton is a great actor. Yes. I just, yeah. my point is simply, He'll come I, don't back later in I, would, discussion. I don't know that I would pick him to be my rich bad guy. I don't know. I was I, okay with it. Kind of a quirky choice, I, I guess. Was, I was okay with it. I was okay. He's with Ryan Isle of Paris, Texas. He's, yeah, sure. he's, he's HDS. <laughs> I'll, I won't say a bad word about him. I thought it was fine. No, I, I, I bought it. May he rest. May he rest. No, great, um, great yeah. actor. Also, if you buy somebody who's like, I can have you killed. I mean, like, I buy that. I yeah, true. Can have yeah, the, the, the menacing part of it. So basically, I, right. like, I, I want, like, talking about this plot makes me angry, so I'm just going to finish it up yeah, real quick. Yeah, Robert Basically, in short order, there's a whole caper in a mental hospital because that's where Bever- Beverly D'Angelo has been trapped against her will. But then as soon as Red Lyle shows up, she's like okay with it and doesn't I mind know, anymore. so weird. Real problematic to watch as a lady for this. Yeah. And then also one time we see Michael McKean show up as another... Um, as another symphony performer right. and he shows up one time and he clearly has interest and he is the one human being that Ellen Barkin doesn't invite to come to the house in Hollywood Hills to stay with her. <laughs> she has asked everybody, including the man she just met with the dog. And she's like, no, no, no. And he's like, but I'll come and help you. I'll always help you. And he's like clearly in the friend zone, but he wants to be more. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, he's going to try to kill her right. for sure. And, and he what does. happens at the end? He does. He does. And, he, and it's so icky. It is so icky. 
It's so like I didn't take this movie. He sort of saves saves the day kind of, but then she's mad at him because you also find out he was a liar. Right. But he like went after and tried to save the day. So she goes from like hating him one minute to like loving loving him him the next minute and is like real. Well, look, these are but it's obviously these are like meant to be farcical things, right? It's like it's like high comedy, whatever. It's supposed to be slamming doors and and sardines. Yeah. Yeah. And and so in that respect, I can appreciate the attempt. And I think here's what I think is interesting, because it doesn't really work like you're saying. I think I think on a on a wider level, I'm sure it sounds like I enjoyed it a little bit more than probably you and Connor did. I didn't love it by any means, but but here's what's interesting to me. Carol Eastman also wrote, and we, we, we talked about this movie when we did Warren Beatty. She wrote The Fortune, yeah. which starred Warren Beatty and mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson and came out in 1975, but barely came out. We, Mike Nichols directed it. And that's also like a slapsticky period depression era um, farce. And it's all about the man act. And the whole plot is like Warren Beatty, married a young soccer Channing and at, and at that time the man the man act was like you couldn't transport women who were married across state lines you got arrested right something like that and the whole premise is like he brings Jack Nicholson in to pretend to be the husband for the purposes of because like Beatty's a convict it's a whole convoluted thing and I just find it fascinating that like she wrote that it wasn't a success it starred Jack Nicholson and then 17, 17 years later, with not many other credits in between, I'm sure she was always writing. It's like another farce. I find well, that fascinating. Here, here's the thing. Here's a couple of I will I will speculate. Please. Number one, this movie does feel like it got a lot of studio notes one way or the other. You know yeah. what I mean? Because there's just a lot of inconsistencies where right. it's like you somebody like this person you would expect to do something super sleazy and then they do something a little less sleazy, but also kind of sleazy. And you're like, that feels like a studio note. That feels like there was something the, that was a little more vicious. The IMDB, the IMDB, like just, you know, little quick description of the movie mm-hmm. immediately describes Jack Nicholson as sleazy, but affable. Oh my God. That's so accurate. It is. Sleazy, it but is. affable is his whole thing in this. Like, yeah. I want to say he's got some Tommy Bahama shirts, but I might've just put them in my mind. I don't even know if that's true. It's kind of like <laughs> a thing of Nicholson's. I think it's a thing he comfortably slips into just throughout the course of his career. Well, yeah. And that's what I wanted to bring up though, because I think that is a mistake to put into this movie because when you see him, you just know he's playing an angle. Right. From the beginning. Sure. So you question immediately why this person, why Ellen Barkin's character, who is scared of everybody and everything, she's scared of everything. And he shows Almost up. Almost to a point where she's like not a real heel. Like it's like, how how is this person this way? Yeah, like, she's not functional. But yeah. like I mean, and but also she's not being she's she's not being listened to really because she did just get her house broken into and then they were yeah. like, Well, who doesn't like this? I mean, this poor woman. And this <laughs> poor woman, for sure. And, and her sister's a complete selfish oh, Beverly D'Angelo. Look, just she's one of those actresses. I like, and we talk about this all the time, I feel like. I don't, I, I just would be curious, like, what she turned down or, like, what t- she didn't get. or Because she is talented, like, obviously. She's super talented. She's playing movies. Really oh, of course. And she, I mean, me she too. nails I just, this character, by the way. She, I think she's actually in the movie this movie is supposed to be. Yeah, that's she's Maybe yeah, by herself. If the, if the she movie just is plays about, the ups if, and the downs and the reversals just so gracefully. Well, with, which is why when great, she... Great comic actress. Yeah, and yeah. I think which is why when she kind of... That moment where you know, near the end where Barkin is like kind of chastising her for going back with Harry Dean Stanton. It's like, yeah, but of course she would do that. Like right. it's like yeah. she plays the character that way. Yeah, and and you and you buy it from her. Yeah. Um so 
I think when you're watching Jack Nicholson, like he just never looks like he's telling the truth in this movie, especially, but also kind of always a little bit like yeah. in, to the point where it's surprising when he plays somebody so straight that sure. you're like, oh, he's not playing an angle like that's new for him because all of his characters have that wonderful edge. So in this case, yeah. he shows up and he seems like such an obviously not good person to bring into your life. And then he starts talking about a figure right away. So many so many comments about the figure, like always, and and which on her like, hands, you like gloves her which, hands. Which one is like, yeah, but he's lying about like, like she's going on about like the divine divine comedy, divine comedy, yeah. and then he pretends to have read it, and he pretends that and he's just like sitting classical, in his drawer, yeah, and it's like he that. pretends that classical music like makes him overcome instead of just like turning it off because he doesn't want to listen to it, and she just buys it, and so she's been so suspicious of everybody else, but she's not suspicious of him that it's like I feel like this character would work better with somebody who has a charm to them, a disheveled charm mm, yeah. that is more open-faced. Like, we're going to talk about Paul Rudd later, but imagine a contemporary kind of Paul Rudd at that time. Like or if you Ke could... Kevin Klein. Or Kevin Klein. Like, think about Kevin yeah, Klein. Yeah, maybe Kevin, Kevin Klein. in the early 90s? He was playing a lot of those characters yeah, that were like, like sleazy but affable. Wanda, but you can, like, there's there's an invitation in there where you can, like, yeah, see like, him being a sincere guy. Exactly. He just never seems like a sincere Jack, guy. So when know. he is starting to have sincere feelings, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like he is. It feels like it's also a lie. Isn't it crazy? This is the same year A Few Good Men comes out. <gasps> 92. Oh my God, it is. It's so weird. Right. So he makes the he gets that an Oscar nomination. Wild. I mean, yeah, he, a great performance. I mean, I, he for, also, I knew that that was 92, but I forgot. He also that did this wild. movie. He did this movie kind of as a favor to Bob to Ralph. Yeah. Right. And yeah, Ravelson doesn't do much after this. If anything, I think he makes one more movie. I'm looking it up right now. Ravelson, it's interesting. A lot of those new Hollywood guys, they burnt out, right? So you have like Ravelson was one of those guys. Um, so was Hal Ashby, right? Where like they cr they made a lot of movies in a row that are, you know, near masterpieces, if not full masterpieces. Yeah, so Ravelson, yeah. So basically Ravelson has, he makes Head in 68, which is with uh, Nicholson. And I think The Monkees. And then Five Easy Pieces, King of Mar Marvin Garden, Stay Hungry, Postman Always Rings tr Twice. Mm -hmm. Three of those are with Nicholson. And then uh, Black Widow, which is kind of a cool Deborah Winger, Teresa Russell thriller from the late 80s. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. It's not great, but it's a fun little yarn. And then a movie Mounds of the Moon, I don't know, Man Trouble. And then he does Blood and Wine with Nicholson and Stephen Dorff and young Jennifer Lopez and Michael Caine, which is a cool crime movie from 96. That's a B-side that I recommend. Blood and Wine. Cool movie. We're big Dora fans here as yeah, well. So we are. I think, that. I think he's good. I'm a big fan I'm of him. I'm going to take this quick moment to say if you haven't watched the third season of True Detective, he's the best part. Yeah, Dorf is great. Well, Mahershal is the best. Part. No, Mahershal is the best part of But Dorf is close. He is I very think. good in that. One he B. plays a great old guy. Mm -hmm. He's he a great does old guy. In, he plays you know, a. Dorf plays a really solid and a very solid middle aged guy. Like, I think his actually middle aged might be better than I have. I have said this before on the podcast. His performance at Somewhere. Is my favorite performance I've ever seen an actor ever give. That's a bold statement. It's just, it's just the truth. I don't know. What I to mean, tell you. I came on this show because I don't like, know what to tell you because Jack Nicholson, <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I know, I know. The Shining. It's just, it's in my heart. Legendary performances. I can't. I don't know Look, what to tell it is what you. it is. I love that you movie. You love what you love. I love that movie and I love his performance in it. And then, so he makes his last movie was No Good Deed. Bob Rafelson, which is a thriller with Sam Jackson, which is not very good. So my point is just like, it's interesting those new Hollywood guys because they did kind of the time 
for creation happened. And then as the eighties came in, you know, like how Ashby stuff like 8 million ways to die. They just, they like make movies that didn't hit as well. They're trying to fit into the studio system to some degree and it didn't really work. So Ravelson's one of those guys. So it's interesting that Nicholson did the favor to some degree. And, um, and it's just a shame barking. So it just doesn't go anywhere. Well, I I will say I will. My last comment on this is that I do think, like I started out and it was like, this isn't a, doesn't seem as bad as the legendary badness that it is because this was kind of legendary. Like Nicholson won a Razzie for it. Yeah, cost year. thirty million. Made yeah, four. And I, I mean, it is nowhere. Like it's so it. hard to find. Yeah, Connor anywhere. had to like do what we talked about in the last episode. He had to like mash. I had to it, sort of like, together. I, find the I, audio I, the... I had to make this movie. Yeah, you remade that. That's wild. Yeah, which I appreciate, but like it was, you you just can't find it. And no. and. I will say that if this this feels like one of those movies that could have been on HBO on rotation for a long time and very well might have and been. might have been and I feel like if it had been on enough the way I had seen like overboard eight million times right. or like all those those movies that are just on so much that you wind up knowing them by heart and then years later you're like oh that was a quite problematic movie when right, you think right, about right, it right. like I feel like this could have been that and so I think it just some movies, when they get the reputation, they get the stink on it, and you're just like, and, it, and when you watch it, it isn't good enough to stick up for it. There's still a lot of stuff that doesn't work. There's still a lot of gross stuff. I, I'm telling you, watching Michael McKean play like a a, mm. a, a creepy, maybe killer. Yeah, maybe he's the maybe, killer. You don't know. I mean, That's weird. but like watching him take that turn hurt me in a weird way because he's he's mckean yeah Mike i mean McKean. he's got a lot of he's got a lot of shades he's got a lot of colors but i did not like this one didn't and like it made that. me feel yeah, bad I agree with you. because he did a, he did a good he committed to it he committed to I the agree. creepy like every best friend that you can so easily imagine is just like a serial killer underneath sure it. and it was just like it upset me I, he, he needed to be in the movie more for it to even, you know, to, for it to perk it stood out as soon as i showed up he showed up right. i was like oh yeah he's the one who's harassing her for sure now, we were talking about unnecessary sequels, right? In yes. lieu of Two Jakes and also, the you know, Texasville, Godfather 3 that same year. Well, let's not spend too much time on this movie just because Nicholson's not in a lot of it. The Evening Star, 1996. A sequel to Terms of Endearment, which is... It feels like the most beginning, middle, end movie. Great movie. Love Terms of Endearment, right? James L. Brooks, based on the Larry McMurtry book um it's you know it's shirley mclean it's deborah winger they play mother and daughter they hated each other on set they competed for the same oscar shirley mclean won and she went up there and has that kind of famous speech where she's like i deserved this and she's like very like because they they did not like each other right deborah winger and shirley mclean if you know terms of endearment spoiler alert deborah winger character dies at the end of the movie it's very sad it was famous for a while for being one of the saddest movies of all time yeah, and it's it's, like it was a punchline in other stuff we'd be yeah. like you know and someone would come in and like there's like a big strapping man and be like why are you crying watch well, turns, turns yeah. Yeah. yeah it's you know it's like it's the brian song of like <laughs> right Brian's song, exactly. Brian's song. no and so it's a it's a classic and was a huge hit when the year came out um terms of endearment i think the same year uh return of the jedi came out um, I think yeah, yeah. well, it was yeah, 83. 83. It was 83. So, um, because I only say that because those are I, those may be the top two grossing movies of 83, which is crazy. Anyway, this movie, The Evening Star, it is based on a Larry McMurtry book. And Larry McMurtry, who also wrote the sequel to his book, The Last Picture Show, which is called Texasville, right? So McMurtry, he's writing those books and people are making those sequels. And so 
I don't know. What's this movie about? Shirley MacLaine's in it. Aurora Greenway. She's been through men. Garrett Breedlove, the astronaut, who's played by Jack Nicholson. He's not in the picture anymore. He's got a family somewhere. And she's her maid. Rosie is giving her shit about seeing a therapist. And she begrudgingly sees Bill Paxson, who's the therapist in town. She's still living in Houston. I will say one of the wildest couplings of yeah all of the movies we've watched we watched a lot of jack nicholson i mean i'm here for bill i'm here for but like shirley mcclain gets with bill paxton a young bill paxton and i was like you go that was handled oh here's the thing like i came away with two takeaways from this movie Number one, Shirley McLean is a national treasure. She's a national treasure. Absolutely. I, I could not this, agree more. This That's movie would have been unbearable like because it is a Robert Harling script and Robert Harling directed, which mm. if you remember, he is the author of Steel Magnolias. Right. The play and then the movie. And that was based on the real death of his real sister. And so he is sort of obsessed with these Southern women dealing with yeah. death and life. And so he loves and the old and broads. Just, and just chatting. Loves and chatting and like, you know, and, right. and like punching each other out kind of like verbally or otherwise, you know, but then making up and loving each other. So like frenemies, he's obsessed with these old frenemies. Right. I think no less than three people get sick and die in this in like long convalescence. Well, and you know, and you know that the <laughs> right. pitch, the cell was literally like, okay, so McBurtry wrote a sequel. The guy who made Steel Magnolias wants to make it. We can't get Jeff Daniels back as Flap. He's not going to do it. We can't really get Jack. He might show up for a day for fun. We're talking to him, but we got Shirley and we can just recast three characters who are in a movie that only came out 13 years ago because of the maids recast. Miranda Richardson plays the best friend of Deborah Winger. That's recast. And that's like a crucial part of this movie where they, they're, she's like still a lot in turns the life of the, best of the family. Yeah. And it's very strange. She is always around for somebody who they say often never sees her own children. And it's ever. weird because she's rich because <laughs> she married rich. And like the disdain for that is so... I get I get it on on a some level, but it's I get it, it. You're meant to write it off that like Aurora Greenway is like stubborn and what have you. But they and the, the, the only problem I had with the writing, the only problem, one of the problems I had with the writing in term because Shirley MacLaine's so good, but they have this whole thing where they're like, oh, she's depressed at the beginning of the movie. She's not the same Aurora. And then she goes to Bill Paxton, and then everybody else in the movie. Who's like, a therapist? We should say first, it, but not even not, he's like an approved counselor, right? He's not like a doctor. No, he's a therapist. Right, I right, mean, right. They're, he's just, not they're like, just saying he's not a psychiatrist, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because okay, she calls okay. him doctor, and he's like not a doctor, therapist. Right, but right, he's a right. proper therapist. Yeah, right. So he, she like begrudgingly goes, and they begin this dalliance, and then it's like everything's better. And people are like, oh, I'm glad she's acting like the old Aurora. And I was like, when was she not? You know what I mean? Like the depression. The depression was very artificial. Yeah. (sighs) So now this all hinges on the kids from Terms who are now grown up and are Juliette Lewis, Brian McKenzie from Father of the Bride. Yes. Who I thought was... um I thought it was somebody else for the entire movie. I thought it was D.B. Sweeney, I think. Yeah, the which, movie. I mean, And then course. it was like, oh, right. It could have been. Father, right, guy. Yeah, okay. um, he's in jail, which that was a whole thing that happened. And then the other the other son, right? It's the two sons and Who they shit was. on all the time. And his, they're like, oh, none of these grandkids, none of their lives are yeah, together. he's got like a family. He's fine. He's got a family. Yeah. A slightly bratty, but perfectly fine kid. He's a kid. His, his wife is a little bit salty to Aurora, but who cares? Right. But they shit on him because he has a towing service. 
That's the right. thing. They talk about it like because she's is so embarrassed at the beginning when yeah, he, but they he's pick got a perfectly up. functional towing yeah, service. Yeah, come he's on. making money. Small it's business in, owner. It's in Houston. Like what? Like what's the problem? Like he is probably totally an Astros fine. fan. They good. keep talking about all these kids haven't worked out, but like he's fine. You get Scott Wolf with a mullet, which who could ever? Oh I'll God, never forget it as long Wolf as I live. Movie. And a mustache for a short little while. Yeah. And then and I love that there's that he like he then cleans himself up and like wins Julia Lewis back for like a minute, and it's like he is so handsome. I will say that. Like he's when he shows handsome. back up, like clean shaven, I, I was like, really? No. Well, that Scott Wolf wow. is the sequel to Wolf, right? Yeah. So Nicholson <laughs> made Wolf, and then right. this is Scott, Scott Wolf. Wolf. Yes, okay. exactly. Cool. I don't know. From Party of Five, I was more of a Matthew Fox than a, Oh, sure. You, you okay. I mean? Okay. Like, okay. If we're talking about Party of Five, I, yeah. I understand that. Um. So regardless, it's very melodramatic to to Katie's point. Uh, the Robert Harling of it all, and um, Hartling, Harling, and it's um. Harling. So. A million people die in very dramatic ways. Nicholson, literally, what I liked, what I thought was funny, there's an hour and 45 minutes in the movie. A death has happened. We won't spoil it because who can, I mean, whatever. Just watch the movie if you want. But, but Aurora's in her backyard. You know, a moment of reflection. It's quiet. And you're at a point where you're like, this movie's over, right? You're like, what else is left to say? And it's literally like Garrett Breedlove walks into the frame of the movie to keep it going. You're just like, oh, is that Jack? Oh, that's Jack Nichols. And then he shows up and they basically have an extended nine, eight, nine minute conversation. Could Does not need to be in the movie. Like literally, if you cut it out of the movie, it's just a movie without Jack Nicholson. That's the same exact movie. Right. So that's why. I- it's just supposed to wrap up a loose end because the whole the, the quote unquote plot sewing this together is that she has decided to get out of her depression and funk such as it is, by making scrapbooks. So she calls them her chronicles. And every year there's another chronicle. And the chronicle is also supposed to cover a man in her life or a period in her life. And it all gets tied up with a literal bow at the end of the chapter of that segment. But there, And so this is to wrap up the Garrett Breedlove astronaut section. But there's nothing. They sort of reminisce about the fact that like his wife is much younger. She's like, ha, yeah, wife is much younger. And he's like, yeah, she is. Well, there's a great Aurora like snipe that reminds you of, of terms where uh, Jack Nicholson shows uh, Shirley McLean a photo of one of his kids, and Shirley McLean goes, um, "Oh, a little young to walk down the aisle, right?" Like the joke being that, like, it's his wife. It's good. I like. Yeah, I, I like. I like that. It was. It was a, a legitimately good joke that she delivered perfectly. Yeah. I. You watch them. They go to the beach. They scatter the ashes. They of, drive you know, again on the water. They drive again, you know. and I. I and I should say this, I purposely did not watch Terms of Endearment. Never have. Never have what? seen it. What? No, it's a classic. Never have seen it. Because I never, I have never felt like being, like I knew how sad it was supposed to be. And I was like, I'm just going to watch this. We're going to stop recording for like two seconds a day. How you learned about the Terms? <laughs> never have. I just had you never You only have. learned about terms. the Evening Star. Well, here's what happened. I saw that the Evening Star was a sequel to Terms of Endearment, a famous movie I've never seen. And I was like, let's just see what happens if I just watch it. Sight and well, scene with the rest of it. What do you think of Julia Lewis in it? Because she's playing Deborah Winger's daughter. Right, she's playing Deborah Winger's daughter, and she and she comes out. And she's like, "I hate you," and, and it's so over the top. I, I mean, Julia Lewis. I would say Julia Lewis. Fan. Always playing in eleven. I was always a fan at As that a time. Vibrant, yeah. I was a huge fan. I was a defender of her. I liked her. And she's very punk. Like, yeah, I, I liked. I like. I was a huge Natural Born Killers fan. That was like, you know, love it. That was what about Strange Days? Uh, sure. We yeah, talked about I, that on our Angela Bassett pod. Yes, of course. Um, and I have always liked her. I like what she doesn't have a wide Agreed. range, but for what she does, she does it great. She was bad in this. She was not. I good. was going to say it felt we're talking about we were talking about briefly about like okay, nothing was, was grounded. Was Jack miscast in Man Trouble? I think Juliet Lewis 
was cast because she can pass as Deborah Winger's daughter in terms of looks, but as an actual character, you got to get another actress for that role. I know I she just she just had she she had only a couple of gears, and like she doesn't have a lot of gears to begin with. Right. But the great thing that she usually brings to or or I guess brought like when she was doing all those teenager roles as a teenager, um, Cape Fear and whatnot. Yeah, is that she brought a naturalism to it. She was always so naturally like, did they well, and weird. get her? Like yeah, weird, weird like na- kids are, right? right? Like you're like, you know. Yeah, she was a a very specific flavor, but it always felt like hers. Yeah. And here it just felt like everything was very forced and very phony. And it's and it's and to that point, you haven't seen terms as I'm still recovering from, but um, <laughs> Deborah Winger's performance in terms of endearment is I mean, speaking of whatever Stephen Dorff and some I mean, Deborah Winger's performance in in terms might be my like fourth most favorite performance ever in a movie. I mean, she is so good in that movie, Deborah Winger is like her and Shirley MacLaine it they might have hated each other on set but it worked like the chemistry and the fireworks of them just like being mother and daughter it feels so real you're like oh my god like or they they feel related you know I, what I mean it's I do feel compelled to finally see it after this I like I do this I was like I'm just, me trying to convince you to watch no, it. no no but he, actually I I was going to and then I was like no it's funnier if I don't yes no and I actually appreciate that you, we never would have gotten that reaction it's funnier if I don't it's funny if I just wish we were, on its own we were video so you can see my yeah. face just grow like but, elongate by a foot but, but I do feel compelled to see it because I'm telling you, Sherlock Clean was so good in this very yeah. long, boring, ra- you know, wrap up all the loose ends, literally go to the end of everybody's life movie. Um, so I was like, well, if this is if this is the sort of yeah. sloppy seconds, I would love to see what happened at the time. I will also say that the my one thing I wrote down in my notebook from this movie was this is a movie about people throwing food away. <laughs> so many Which scenes I hate so many scenes yeah she so throws many... that beautiful like yeah. salad in the garbage because Julia me... Lewis doesn't want to put it in the fridge let's, dude let's let's <laughs> go back come on First, well, I don't know so that salad's goes... not gonna keep just for, for <laughs> no, dinner no. or something here's what happens so no, I don't even think I've done all of them just keep but she she brings in a beautiful the first thing we see it's almost the first shot is a beautiful batch of brownies that she has made for the grandson in jail he looks at them they open the box to show all of them, and he goes, and he tosses it in the garbage. And I was like, bullshit. You are in prison. You are in jail. That would be such currency for you. You don't have to keep it, but sell it for cigarettes or fucking, like, you, like mm. I don't know if they have commissary in this particular kind of jail, but, like, it was a weird-looking, old-timey-looking jail. Oh, oh, it was like, the, oh, was it yeah. a work farm well, yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, cook, yeah, he throws out the cook looked, back. Come on, he Brian McKenzie. The, yeah, I was like, you would not. You know who wouldn't do that? Sell Brian McKenzie from right. Father of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't do that. So, next... There's the thing where she like makes this beautifully adorned dinner for Juliet Lewis, who's like, I'm not hungry. Yeah, and then she just takes it, poof, and throws it in the garbage. I was Aurora. like, You're, there are so many people around you who just flock to your kitchen for like, random your times. Maid. Your neighbor Rosie. who's always here, your maid who like does doesn't have a life of her own because she's so wrapped up in your life, which yeah. is a, a trope I don't like. I don't like it when yeah, it's like the maid, all of the maid's lines are about how to get Shirley McLean better. And she's like trying to get like, she's just such a well, helper thing. It was like, at no point do you want to have a, your own life? Especially know. they cash it in, in a, like a very a kind of manipulative way at the end. Yes, they do. Now, just quickly speaking of Robert Harling and, and, and then we can move on to yes. get pledging. Connor, stop talking about the evening star so much. <laughs> um, 
uh, Robert Harling wrote Steel Magnolias, like we talked about. He wrote Soap Dish, <gasps> which we talked briefly oh, about on the Carrie Fisher yeah. pod. I forgot he wrote Soap Dish. Soap, Soap Dish is great. Movie. Oh, it's so good. The First Wives Club, I'm, which I'm a big fan of. That actually. makes sense. And The Evening Star. <laughs> I'm a fan you. of it there's or no, that he wrote There's it? no agreement. You're just like, that like yeah, no, that tracks. <laughs> you know what The First Wives Club is, Dan? What? Hashtag Dan McAcore. Oh, it is Dan McAcore movie. That's our buddy Corey has this joke uh, about movies that, like normal, like not good movies that I like, and he calls it Dan McAcore. Yeah, real <laughs> funny. Hi, Corey. Um, <laughs> Laws of Attraction is another movie he wrote, which we briefly talked about on our Pierce Brosnan yep. episode, which is a truly bad like yeah, divorce rom com movie mm-hmm. with Pierce Brosnan and uh, Julia uh, Julian Moore. Anyway, okay. Oh, and she throws out an entire plate of barbecue. Throws it out. That's they have like at the end? she walks out of the restaurant. There's, no, there's, there's like a there's a there's like a dive that she takes uh Bill Paxton. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And yes, it's yes. supposed to show another side of her. And he's like, Oh, I didn't see you go to a place like this. And yes. and it kind of is played off like she's taken into some dive because she doesn't want to nice be seen with him. Yeah. yeah, but like actually she goes there all the time. It's supposed to show her like down homeness. And there's this giant spread. She orders four pigs worth of food, and then she gets <laughs> up and walks out of the restaurant like Three minutes into this, there's a moment yeah. in yeah, I remember that. in how do you know where Owen Wilson throws a giant platter of barbecue away? He at least tries to save it. Sure, he tries, but I just I can't help now. Like a good one, Washington I, National, player. I can't help but now wonder like just like a sweaty sunglass Jack Nicholson saying, "I'll only do this movie if someone <laughs> throws barbecue." We're away. We're saying like, him doing that's that not movie. That's not about Jack. No thanks. We're <laughs> saying him doing that movie was a favor to James L. Brooks, but we're going to talk about how much Jack Nicholson required he got paid to do that movie, and we'll see how much of a favor it was. Anyway, anyway, the pledge. Yeah, Pledge. mustache Jack. Yeah, but better mustache. Yes. in the pledge. I mean, full stop. This movie was good. This is a good. Movie. This is my favorite, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, this. Is, yeah, yeah, not a question. I mean, I like the I like the two Jakes fine. Yeah, me but too. This is better. Directed by Sean Penn, who had directed Nicholson in a movie called The Crossing, Crossing Guard, Guard in '95, yeah. which is okay. It's one of those movies. Sean Penn's. You know, he's got a lot of layers. We've talked about Sean before. We talked about Sean on Charlie's. Yeah, we talked about The Last yeah. Face, which yeah. he directed. So we've talked, wow. It's hey, Sean Penn movies, the directed movies when Katie's on. That's right. so funny. What are we going to talk about next time? Have you talked about Sean Penn yet? No, no. I mean, we were talking about Indian okay. Summer or, or Indian Runner, rather, with uh, David Morse's first movie. Anyway, Sean Penn, The Pledge. It's just the sad, it's such a sad movie. It's an abysmally sad movie dour the word is dour d-o-u-r dour yeah i mean it's um no it's a tragic and it's based on a it's based on a story another film i believe well it's no no it's there it's based on a story um, a new story no, 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 no. I'm, like I'm going to look it up. Look it up. I'm, I'm going to so look basically, it up. It's like, I think it's based on something of a classic, I think. Yeah, while you look it, up, look it up, basically, I'll just do... It's it's mercifully way less convoluted than all of our other movies. Mm-hmm. Basically, Jerry Black is Jack Nicholson. He good name. is Good name yeah. for this movie especially. Yeah. He's a old detective. Um, he literally is at his retirement party... Um, and I guess are they in Alaska? They're like no in Nevada. Nevada. He's a he. He's like a detective for the Nevada sheriff's right, sheriff's right, department. right. But it's like way out post Nevada yeah. type thing. And they're at his retirement party, and he's gonna go fishing, and they're giving him fishing rods. And Aaron Eckhart's like a young hotshot, also uh, mustache, also mustache. Detective. A little heavy for him usually. It was yeah. weird to see him with cheeks. heavy mustache yeah. Yeah. and heavy heavy cheek cheek bones, but. While they're at his party, they get a call. There's been a murder. They all go. 
Um, and it's this gruesome, terrible murder of a child. Yeah, yeah. you don't see the murder, but there's another kid who finds right. the, the body and, of this and it's, young girl. It's a truly great scene, actually, where they all go to the body and none of them know how to handle it because they've never seen a gruesome murder except for Jack Nicholson. Well, yeah, because because it was like the local the yeah. local sheriff's and office. And they've like tamed the whole with... scene and Nicholson comes in and he's like, what did you do? Because Nicholson's uh, from the Reno. Right. It, That's, right. Yeah, That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he's from the Reno Police Department. And so, essentially... Minutes later, they catch this Native American man who is played by Benicio Del Toro. Who's not a Native American. Sure. Yes. I, I do love the performance, I will say. It's a great two-scene performance. It's, get, it's deep. I mean, He gets caught. Deep. Yeah. And, and, and they're convinced he, he's, he's slow, right? He's he's, ment- he is he's, mentally disturbed slash slow slash. It's a little. Schizophrenic. They kind of convolute it a little bit. It's a little yeah. vague. It's a yeah. little vague. I but think they make on- it vague because like they like, because it seems like the cops don't want want, want to look into it. Right? He's like, mentally damaged. You're for right. sure. Yeah. Like he does not. He, he's yeah. not all there. He's. And they're no all problems. convinced he did it. They want him to be the one who did it. And Eckhart basically walks in on this interrogation and just like dares him to confess to it. And this very disturbing, especially nowadays, like well, way of doing it. It was remi- it reminded me a lot of uh of the Brendan Dassey interrogation. Right. From uh from the Making a Murder. Well, from real life, right. but yeah, but yeah, heavily featured like in that. Making a Murder. Um it's a lot like that. It's disturbing like that because you're just you're watching you're watching Aaron Eckhart do this thing, and it's I I, I go back and forth in Aaron Eckhart. He's I think, great. In this I think he's excellent. Yeah, this, this is one of his. I think one of his best performances. Yeah, I think I, this is one of Jack Nicholson's best performances. It, Agreed. And um, but yeah, but Aaron Eckhart just as that dude who like right almost overzealous ha- and just has racist. no business being a cop because he just like clearly doesn't care about being a cop. He just wants it to be done. Like he's like almost just annoyed by the whole thing. So he's just sort of like, let me just go do this. And and close the book on it like as quickly as humanly possible. Right. right. And then yeah. You, you oh no. And then yeah. so basically, uh, he's like Connor said, he's not also not a good cop. So what happens is Benicio del Toro, in a series of kind of uh, mistaken moments, grabs Eckhart's gun. Right. Or it's not Eckhart's. No, no the cop is taking cop's him gun. away. I'm no, sorry. basically here, basically Aaron Eckhart forces away. a confession. It's yeah. a coerced confession, yep. and he manipulated yeah. somebody who didn't understand what he was confessing to, but he kind of convinced him that he did it. Happens all the time in yeah, police yeah, departments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, as Benicio del Toro's character gets led away, he grabs the other guy's gun the, in the department that is sort like of like the, haphazard. The local guys, yeah, and and he shoots himself. Yeah. And while this Did is all you happening, see how she wrangled us like that. It's I like know, she writes so podcasts. Or it's like you're, it's like you're a good writer. I love it. Um, so basically, while that's all happening, Jerry Black, Jack Nicholson is like, "This is bullshit." Like he's live comments commentating. Like this is. Seems like this guy could he not have, could not have gotten close enough to a kid to do all the gruesome things that were done, essentially. And basically, he ultimately he goes to Patricia Clarkson, who is the mother, mother, mother of, the of the of the victim, and the husband's there too. But it's more about Patricia Clarkson. Mm-hmm. And Patricia Clarkson basically makes uh, Jack Nicholson pledge, promise to find the killer of her child and the rest of the movie is this guy's descent into madness as he tries to find the person who killed uh, this child well because what he's what he starts doing is instead of going on his fishing trip vacation he starts delving into similar murders nearby he bring you know he finds that there were two other 
you know, either murders or disappearances, you know, one murder, one disappearance of girls of a similar age, similar hair color, and both wearing a red dress. It gets a little um, coincidency, but also like this, these are the marks of a serial killer. Like yeah. in terms of a serial killer story, like the hallmarks are very, um, they're almost too easy. Like they're a little yeah. easy for it, real life, but yeah. we'll give it to them because this yeah. is supposed to be a detective story. Yeah, it's well, a genre. It, it's a gets, genre I mean, and it's, it's cut and shot in a very fragmented way. A, a million wonderful cameos with wonderful actors. There's like yeah. one scene each. Mickey Rourke plays oh the dad. He's so good. Heartbreaking. And this is back while you could still see some of his face. Yeah, yeah. he's up. so... Well, this is also... This is a one. So this is like... He has not been revived by Robert Rodriguez yet, right? right. So this is before Man on Fire. This is before Once Upon a Time in Mexico. This is before Sin City. Only a few years before, but he comes in after not really have made a movie of this caliber in a long time, and he's he is the father of a, I think another victim, one, yeah right? one yeah, of the other the girls. one that's like missing right the yeah. one that's yeah. cr- and he just crushes this monologue and it's like and look that's speaking of friends helping friends Sean Penn longtime friend of Mickey Rourke that's basically why he's in the movie beat him for the Oscar beat him Remember? for the Oscar mm-hmm. right the Sean Penn beat Mickey yeah. Rourke for the Oscar yeah. yeah yeah I remember that and it's just so great how much. With all that goodwill Mickey Rourke had, what he did afterwards, and said, so, no, "I'm just kidding." Um, yeah. But that's a great scene, and there's a lot of like you said, there's a lot of great one scene performances. The, there are a lot of actors, actors in here. Like Lois Smith has like yeah. one yeah. wonderful scene, and Robin um, Redgrave, Vanessa Redgrave. Here, Dean Stanton comes this back. Cast is Stanton. Yeah, exactly. The Stanton is maybe the most like the actual fuck are you doing in this movie? Like, because he literally is just there. Doesn't Stan sell the gas yeah, station? Basically, basically uh, to, yeah, to summarize. Yeah. Um, so Jack Nicholson goes and studies all of these other nearby murders. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, I have a theory of the case here. And Sam Shepard, who plays right. like the, the chief and uh, and Aaron Eckert kind of are like, you got, you're losing it. We'll do you're a retired. favor for you. But- well, I mean, they basically, they basically tell him there's no there there. They, they throw it out. And they say, go be retired. Right. And so what he does is like, okay, I'm going to go be retired. And he goes, he looks at the map, he triangulates, and he puts himself in the center of the pattern of where these yeah. three murders were. And he goes, he finds this rundown old gas station owned by Harry Dean Stanton. And then he's like, hey, are you selling? Because I'm retired now. Also, it's nearby fishing because we established that he's a fisherman. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's nearby some good angling. So he's like, well, I can fish. And he... And he like offers, and hunt serial killers. And he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he offers too much money to Harry Dean Stanton, the old gas station attendant, right. and he buys it so he can sort of camp out, low key look for the killer, yeah, and also fish and meet and, and meet Robin Wright, who's a local waitress who right. is damaged in her own way and has a kid, and of course she's a young girl, and that that comes into the protective nature of Nicholson, and he, he basically. You know, becomes a father figure to Robin Wright's daughter, and obviously that angles itself into him trying to catch a killer of young of young ch- children. So, right, because you start seeing more signs yeah. for people who might be out to get little girls, just like Robin Wright's little girl. I'm wondering if we want to spoil. I don't, almost don't want to spoil. I thought about this because I really want to advocate people watch this. I know, but yeah, it's hard to talk about if you it. don't. Yeah. Is it possible to like say, hey, this is a hard stop? You can yeah, fast we, we do that. Yeah, if you have not, if we you have that. not, if if you have not seen the pledge, just stop. I with. think it's probably still available on Crackle. Yeah, it's on Crackle. You have to yeah. you have to it's, weather a lot of car advertisements. I mean, sure. but it's crackling. You're yeah. crackling all along with it. You can see it for free. I got I a lot of Zarbies exactly, ads. I think it's exactly two hours. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. This is Sean. I mean, look, Sean Penn. I've seen all of his directed movies. This is his best. I mean. 
Crossing Guard's interesting. It's a it's a soul character piece. It's all about Nicholson's character. He which is almost more sad than this movie. Yeah, I had a hard time with the dark. Crossing yeah, it's hard to watch. Yeah. Um, Indian Runner is more personal, I think, to Penn. And then obviously, Last Face is we talked about on the Charlie's one is kind of a miss, but this one's good. Um, so fast forward. Fast to, forward what then, five minutes? Uh, well, later you can go back and see the time code, and just so like enjoy. Oh sure, yeah. Briefly, we'll, sure. Well, yeah. right at one hour and thirty-seven minutes is when you can do it and come back in. So we should have always done that. Now I'm thinking about that. Yeah, I'll, dr- I'll like drop. Teaching us how to, how to. It's like teaching. I'll drop. Yeah, there's someone teaching us how to do better podcasting <laughs> live right now. Um, so basically, what basically what happens is he's in this relationship with Robin Wright. They and do get they it does become a relationship relationship, which is kind of gross. Well, because yeah. he seemed like such a father figure. I was kind of really her. digging the movie when that was the thing. Like yeah, I was like, he, oh, this is he nice. seemed like a like, grandfather to the little yeah. girl yeah. and a father to her, and then all of a sudden she's it gets she's more hiding, complicated. She's hiding yeah. out from an abusive ex husband, yeah, and he initially takes her in because the the guy's beaten Robin Wright, uh, Robin Wright yeah. Penn at the time, so pulp, yeah, and yeah, so he's beaten her up and he takes her in and then. Like partway through this arrangement, she kisses on him, and Robin. there you go. Yeah, I liked that scene. It's a nice. It's I liked that scene. I I wasn't really. I just couldn't really track that they were like developing a relationship. The scene where it happens, I think, is nice because it does feel like something that her character would do in that moment. Because she does seem sort of overwhelmed with how he treats her daughter and how good he is to her daughter. Yeah, and- you know what it is, honestly. It was because I saved this for last because it was the only one that I had already seen. Okay. And so I saved it for very last. And at this point now, it is the fifth movie where either explicitly or implicitly Jack Nicholson is with a much younger woman him and that Douglas. she has yeah. thrown herself onto him yeah. presumably as opposed to him like letching around like the women are just the younger women are just throwing themselves at him and I'm so exhausted by it at this sure. point that when they haven't honestly I think probably earned moment where that happens yeah i'm like again but it's i think that's I just partly think my, the, the energy i'm coming into it with yeah on the set of one flew over the cuckoo's nest producer michael douglas probably turned to actor jack nicholson and was like hey for the rest of our careers do you just want to try to cast younger women as our romantic leads forever and ever we'll just compete who can have more of it for the next <laughs> but, 30 years and what's super sad is though i totally get it though like sure. like he's he's kind of in sean connery land that like he maintained his attractive is is just Pure attractiveness for yeah. decades past when it should have happened. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it's one of those things where yeah, Sean Connery is a good is a good comparison. But just basically to get to the end, what happens mm. is they're all living in the house that's connected to the convenience store gas station, and um, Nicholson becomes convinced because um, Robin Wright's daughter starts talking to this. This trucker, this right? guy she calls the wizard, which was a significant clue from the first murder, right? That right. he got from another child. There's like yes. a there's a wizard. There's thing. a wizard yeah, that yeah, the yeah. child had talked that the first dead kid had talked about right. meeting, and so um, when this and there've been a lot of like false there've been a lot of like false starts. There there've been a lot of yeah. people he thinks. Right. Were the actual killer? He starts seeing pieces move back into place, and he's like, "Am I losing my mind?" Yeah. And then she says to him, "I just met the wizard yesterday." And you're like, oh, so he no. starts tracking it. He wants to. He wants to intervene. But he's then, like, this isn't a drill. Like this. This is the guy. 
Yeah. I thought the last guy was the guy, but this is really the guy. Yeah, and he goes to Eckert and Shepard, and he's like, this is the guy, like, uh, task force, the whole thing. And then he, and they do it. He, and when he uses the girl as bait. Yeah, instead of telling Robin and Ray doesn't tell what's Robin going Ray. on, he lets, she's like, don't tell mom. And he's like, okay, honey, we yeah. won't tell your mom right, instead right. of telling your mom. So he, It's super so, fucked up. So it it's is so fucked, fucked up. up. It's very <laughs> fucked up, but also... Well, I'm going to save this. Are you pro pro Jerry Black doing this, Katie? (laughs) Katie's like, if they Mm. caught the guy, would you feel better about it if he told Robin Wright? Well, yeah. Much. Right, but like, like... like, is Much. it still okay that he does it? I guess that's my question. Is it still is the action? Well, because you're saying well, they wouldn't have done it. Well, let's 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 get let's get what actually happens. Sure, sure. And sure. then I will tell you I have right. thoughts. So what happens is he gets the whole task force in place. There's snipers from all angles. Mm-hmm. There's like a whole team out there, and they're waiting. And the guy doesn't show. And the guy doesn't show. And the guy doesn't show. And they're like, this man has lost his mind. Mm-hmm. And it's so clear to them that he has invented this killer because he just doesn't want to be retired mm-hmm. and he has broke this poor sweet young girl well and he's thinking, made this pledge he's right, made also, he's, yeah. yeah well not they don't give a shit about the pledge no no no, no cares? but but i'm saying from i'm talking from sam shepherd and aaron eckard's perspective right, right right he has lost his mind and he has asked all these people out and they vouch for him and they're like he's a great detective let's all come out and take his word for it and then the guy doesn't show and he's like oh no our friend is demented he's lost his mind yeah we should go and they go and then Aaron Eckert is like I have to tell her mom that you did this and he does he does he has to tell her mom so Aaron Eckert goes to tell Robin Wright look your daughter's in the woods being bait for a crazy scheme that your boyfriend has cooked up and I don't know if you know this but your boyfriend has been on this theory that a killer is on the loose and is after your daughter and so Robin Wright comes roaring through and is like has this all been a lie? Have you like you sick motherfucker? Like yeah, you yeah. just took us in because you thought that she was gonna be bait for your serial killer, you bastard. And she takes her and you know, she takes the girl and she's like, You never see us again. Period. Now, what we also learn has happened is that the guy was on the way, the wizard was on the way, one hundred percent got into a deadly car accident and gets fried on the road and just doesn't show up because he's And you dead. see like the burning wizard, right? In the thing. You see the, uh, burning... the porcupine. Well, porcupine, porcupine. Sorry, the whole I thing about, the... There's a whole clue about porcupines. Right. Like it's not germane to this conversation. Such a brutal ending. It's a brutal ending. So so basically he just goes mad and lives in his gas station until it all falls apart with the remnants of the bike that she never got to collect right. because Robin Wright took her out of the scene too fast and like the gas station's all crumbling around him and he's talking to himself and listening to voices and it is... So Which is how the movie sad. opens. It you is just also don't how really you know that. Yet. Yes, yeah. it is also how it opens. Good movie. Great sad movie. movie. Oh my god! So the first time I saw this, I was like, "This is a great movie." Until the end, and I was like, "That wasn't like this." Feels like a writer manipulation. Is what it feels like. Mm. It feels like such a manipulate. Like we're manipulated into this whole thing. We're manipulated into Jack's point of view, and the, or well, Jerry, Jerry's point of view, and then the guy just dies in the road. Like I feel manipulated as an audience member. This time around. I forgave that a lot more because it felt more of the genre. Yeah. But the first time around, I also felt manipulated by the heavy handedness with which Aaron Eckerd had got coaxed a confession out of Benicio del Toro. This time around, years later, <laughs> you like, know what the shit the cost I was like, oh, absolutely. That felt yeah, incredibly like, that totally That's a good point. That's yeah. so really real. Point. Yeah. It also felt real that they were like, we caught the killer. This case is closed because that happens literally all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. All the time. And this time, you know, last time I was like, oh, don't take her out there. Don't, don't. Like I was, I was like, this is such a bad idea. Yeah. This time around, I was like, 
I don't agree with it. I especially don't agree with just going along with it as a secret because that mother has a right to know. Of course, yeah. But I get why he does it because he's like, I wouldn't do this by myself. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm not, yeah, within the context of the movie, it makes total sense. It is just like- this guy's going to be out there. It he's is, a serial yeah, killer. And it, I think it's partly what makes the movie super tragic. Obviously one that this, you know, and it's so interesting because it's like it's a tragic ending where the serial killer dies right. and the girl doesn't get killed. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, right. that's good. That's good that that I, didn't happen. But it is a tragic ending because, at least you know, as far as Jerry Black is concerned, because he just doesn't get the vindication, right? Of he of, just thinks of, he must uh, have gone mad or yeah. something. I was less sad this time. It's still tragic for him, but this time yeah. around, first time I saw it, I wasn't a mom. This time around, I saw it and was like. Yeah, but the serial killer's dead. Right. And he's right. old. And that, you know, and and I wouldn't have done anything. Well, first time around, I actually thought Robin Wright was being a little unfair. And this time around, I was like, no, she's not. No, not she's at all. She's 100% in her, right. her rights. Yeah. Well, and that's why Crossing Guard is a harder movie because it's kids it's die his, in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it, that's your difference, right? There. Yeah. But well, it's die in this one, but it's like well, sort but of before not the start, that, right, before right. the opening. And, right, right. Am I incorrect in thinking that the movie also does tease that, like, Jack Nicholson may already be mentally ill. Like before yes. thing, right? Because when you he see, so Helen Mirren's in this movie for two seconds. So many characters. Um, lot, lot of, it's a stacked movie, but um, she's in this movie for two seconds. She plays a psychiatrist. Is she a child psychiatrist? I feel like she's an art therapist. It's specifically something like that. art. It's something he, about kids or art. There's brings, so much art on the wall. He brings uh, the one of, yeah, he brings one of the drawings of, of, the, first of the first dead girl. Uh, in the movie, you know, like the, the yeah. in, you know, her name is Ginny. He brings Ginny's drawing to Helen Mirren to kind of take a look at, see if he can get anything from her. And she mentions like, "Oh, are, do you still like hear voices and stuff?" Like, am I making that up? You're you're not making. No, she doesn't say illusion. still, but yeah. you know, no, yeah. she asks him, "Are you?" You know, questions about himself. Are you sexually yeah. active? Does it make you uncomfortable that I've asked you that? Have you? Are you sweating a lot these days? Are you hearing voices? Yeah. She's asking him questions because she wants to check him out, and he and she's like, oh, and have you always been a chain smoker? Because he is in that, in fact, right. in that moment, chain smoking, and he just realizes it. Yeah. So yeah, they definitely tease yeah. that he's going a little cuckoo, especially because before the actual wizard shows up, he thinks it's Tom Noonan, who is admittedly incredibly creepy. And I know, the, good casting. Fits the profile just, yeah. of what he thinks is the killer. He's and like he a actually, priest, right? And it, yeah, he's, a, he's, he's yeah, or a minister. Yeah, or whatever, whatever yeah. Head of a flock. And and at one point he hears that he, the, the, that Tom Noonan has whisked Jen, uh, the, the new daughter. Mm. Is her name also Jenny? Am I making that up? No, uh, Christy. Christy, 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 yeah. So like he invites Christy to church and it happens without Jack Nicholson knowing because he's never told Robin Wright that her daughter might be in danger at all. Yeah. And and he races to the church. He drives. There's a great scene where the car is like backing up into livestock as it's all yeah. over the road. And he like tears through this field and he opens the door. And for a second, he sees the girl dead. Yeah. It's super disturbing. Dead. And he almost shoots. And he has a gun and he almost shoots the priest. Yeah. And then everyone looks at him and everything's fine. And he's like, oh, fuck, I might be. I'm a little mentally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they definitely tease that. And it's yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. It's part of it. Good movie. Yeah. It, uh, it's very good. And I do want to just take a minute and, like, talk about Nicholson in the movie. Yes. And, and his performance. Because it is, like, definitely one of his best performances, I think. And it's such a, it's such a tender, quiet performance. Yeah. And it's love it's so lovely like i think one of the reasons this movie stuck out to me when we decided to do this and why i wanted to do it is because like how often does does jack nicholson just play a good 
person. Like so rarely. Right. And it's it's so and he does it so well. And it it made me it it, it made me remember that there is such an interesting vulnerability to Jack Nicholson, which you sort of forget about. And it's something that even like, even if you were to watch like the shining is there, like when you're seeing, like you watch that movie and just, you see this dude just like breaking, you're like, Oh, this like, but even the shining from, from the beginning, like Kubrick was having him play it up. Like he was losing it. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of like carnal knowledge. There's vulnerability when he was younger. Reds. Um, He's got reds. He's Eugene O'Neill. And that's an interesting performance. Yeah. Yeah, But they're just, they're just, you're right. There aren't, there are many. And you know, King of Marvin gardens is one, but yeah, that's a little, what struck me in this one is that, uh, is that, um, about Schmidt is 2002. About Schmidt. Right. Right. Honestly, I've never felt so old because I guessed in my mind that about Schmidt was, Let's say I, w- I was many years off. I thought it was much later than I was. Right, right, Because right, I remember right. seeing it. I was like, that was yeah. not long ago. But then, no, 2002. Yeah. A year after this movie came out. And I remember it was treated as such a revelation because he was actually playing a man his own age. Yeah, nobody saw the death approach, and mortality. Yeah. yeah, and dealing with death and mortality. And there was a side to him. They're like, oh, he's just playing a regular schmo. Yeah. And the pledge was a whole year earlier. And they hit all of those same beats. Yeah. But with a, you know, and just I mean, such a real right. tender way without a a ghost without a scrap of the idea that this persona exists behind Jack Nicholson. Like if I walked in and this is the only Jack Nicholson movie I'd ever seen, I wouldn't have any idea. Yeah. He just plays it so straight. And yeah. so it's honestly, and it's, I feel like it's not a performance that a lot of actors could give. Right. And I think it's an indication of just obviously why he is, you know, one of the greats. Right. Um, Cause he, yeah. he does it so effortlessly. It's not, um, you know, we've said this before many times on the show, but like performances like that, uh, I think go uh, relatively unnoticed because they feel like there's not much to them. You know, they're not showy right. performances or anything like that. But to me, they always just strike me as exceedingly difficult. And so uh, he, yeah, he's just such an old, sad man. And it's, I just want to give him a hug. Like it. Right. But like, so, and then active and sharp and actually good detective. In yes. This one. Yeah. All right. So I found the truth. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say uh, th- this movie it reminded me a lot of um, Insomnia. Yeah. Had kind of the same. It was the- Quite the Insomnia vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That's true. Go on. So I found the trivia I was looking for. This was, in fact, based on a novella by Friedrich Duremont, 1958, The Pledge, Requiem for the Detective Novel. So, um, and then Duramat wrote the pledge to refine the theme he originally developed in the screenplay for the 1958 German film, It Happened in Broad Daylight, with oh, Heinz Ruhmann. Yeah. Thank you, Wikipedia. That's, that's the... The, the internet. Yes. Um, so. No, and then, I mean, that's, that's the pledge. So, yeah. you know, we'll kind of... Uh, Time code back in. Check yeah. back in. Hi, welcome back, <laughs> if you skipped it. Exactly. Yes. Welcome back. Here... Final Whoa, one. guys, the pledge was nuts, wasn't it? <laughs> sure was. Um, All right, last one, which we're kind of added on, we'll kind of, we'll, we'll use as a segue into our kind of, you know, final Jack thoughts is uh, right. James L. Brooks, director of Terms of Endearment. How do you know his final movie, at least so far? Uh, also Jack Nicholson's final movie. James L. Brooks and Jack Nicholson's final movies. <sighs> Now you were telling us something interesting about the generation of the title of this movie. Yes, yeah, I don't, and I, I won't, I can't speak to it too specifically because I don't know this for sure. I just know that this is a thing that exists, and it feels like this movie is a product of that, or at least the title of this movie is a product of that. But there is a firm, uh, and there, I'm sure there's probably more than one, but like 
there are people who just essentially generate movie titles and can confirm whether or not they're taken or whatever and it's like that's how you get titles like it's complicated things like that where it's like that's what we'll name this movie and it seems like and they always sound they're phrase titles right they're phrase phrase titles titles. they just sound so inexact so general uh like i don't know how she does it um it like it It is what it is yeah right yeah um dan said that earlier and thieving it um, (laughs) take it it's yours the the probably another one um no but yeah it's just funny because it's like what what is this movie what for more importantly why is this movie but like but like it does feel like a favor to somebody and that it, we don't know who it but is. But it's like the title. How do you know? It's well, just, yeah, and you said no question mark, right? Like it's yeah. there's no punctuation. It's just it's like how do you know? How do you know? Dot dot dot. Now look, like I'll just say this. Um, I don't think we need to do a whole plot of this movie. I'll no. simply say this: James O. Brooks, he conceived the idea of this movie. There was two separate things, and. You know, if you listen to the Blank Check podcast, they talk about the this movie. They litigate you know? this movie pretty well. So, it's a good episode. You know, check that out as well. They 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 go deep into that. But essentially, James L. Brooks got fascinated with. Um, there was some article or something profile about a softball player who were in her huge. She was in her young thirties, and like the idea of just being an athlete and how by the time you're in your thirties, you're old and you have to think about the rest of your life. So the, there was that fascination right and so that's one part played and, by reese witherspoon right and it becomes played by reese witherspoon in this movie that part of the movie and then there was another financial part of the movie in which i think like a friend of his or some connection lost all their money in the scheme and this regulation blah blah blah, blah. It, it ends up becoming the paul rudd jack nicholson part of this movie in which there's an investigation happening jack nicholson is the father of paul rudd so paul rudd is like the nominal ceo i guess and yeah he gets indicted or no he's he gets investigated investigated by the probably will be probably will be indicted so he takes two ideas and i talked about this briefly on the carrie fisher episode because we shouted out we had a listener want us to talk about a couple other different movies from star wars alum and i talked about suburbicon which oscar isaac is in briefly and that was another issue where George Clooney took a script he had about the Myers family in in suburban Long Island in in real life and combined it with a Coen Brothers insurance scheme crime script and mashed them together to make Suburbicon, which is a truly unpleasant, not very good movie starring Matt Damon, which I talked about on the Carrie Fisher pod. Anyway, this is kind of like that. This is like another good, talented person being like, let me take these two ideas and put them together and it'll work. And you watch and you're like, no, no won't work. Why no, did this happen? No Two states. ideas that maybe mm-hmm. on their own might well, have worked just fine. Saying. When I have watched this movie, and I've watched it more than once, amazingly, it's like the Reese stuff at the beginning when she gets she doesn't she does make the cut on the softball team where the Olympic I think it's the Olympic softball team, and she's so in it, and she's like a team leader, but she's thirty two or whatever it is, and she's a little old, thirty one, thirty one, yeah. and she gets hurt, so the injury's a thing. That's interesting because she leaves, and it's like, what are you going to do for the rest? Well, of Well, no, I mean, she gets cut. No, 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 no. Yeah, I know, but she gets cut. She gets cut by but... Dean Norris in his one scene, yeah. just playing the biggest piece of shit. Playing the yeah, it's he. He don't has, they he has allude, a skill. Don't they allude to she's coming back from an injury though? They just say she's a little slower. There's point right. three seconds okay. off her yeah, off her yeah. run to first base or whatever. Yeah, they certainly don't mix. I mean, she gets cut because of rage. I'm not trying to. She gets cut because of rage and her time. And he's like, I don't yeah. have to explain this, and I'll post it online. And everybody else. This is another movie where every all of the supporting characters only exist to make the main characters feel better. In that, like her entire team, who is now practicing for the Olympics, including a new 
member who took like her spot. Basement, yeah. But everybody's over at her house being like, oh, no, no, no. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they just like they have no other reason for being except yeah. for like just being there to support her. And the other part of her story is she's kind of in an semi-relationship with Owen Wilson, who's playing a Washington Nationals baseball player. Yes. He's a pitcher, right? I don't remember. He's, like he, he's a pitcher. Do, do they say? Yeah, I think yeah, he's so. a pitcher. Sure. Yeah, sure. And, he's and, a pitcher. And this is, it's funny because this is only a few years after the Washington Nationals became Existed, the Washington yeah. Nationals because it was the Expos. And, anyway, right. so that was kind of cool. And actually, I'm a, I'm a Washington Nationals fan, so that's kind of nice. But, well, but, then, but, no wonder you've seen but, it twice. That's why I love this movie now. Um, that's why it's your favorite movie so they, of all time. They combined essentially, and I guess the other thing they liked, if I'm remembering James L. Brooks the impetus of the combination is like, what if two people met on a date on the worst day of their lives? Because basically Paul Rudd and Reese are set up on a semi-blind date and he's fully blinded. He's being investigated. Yes. He's being investigated. She, she just, just got, got cut. cut. Yeah. They hate, they hate their lives and they meet at a restaurant and they don't, they don't know each other at all. And right. it's like, so wait, who, t- cause it's the, how open, do you know? How, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Anyway, um, no, but like who sets them up? One who? of her teammates. It was one of her teammates. She's like, I don't really know him that well. He was like a friend of my, she's, she, her teammate right at the and beginning. That, and he calls her. Yeah. He basically, he calls her. Yeah. It's okay. It's so. Um, okay. So it was, it's so, it's so machinated. So basically he calls her when she's a practice. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, just so you know, we were going to be fixed up on a blind date. But I can't blind date you because I, it just got really serious with my girlfriend. So just wanted you to know in case you were waiting for me to call. She's like, okay, buddy, whatever. And then hangs up and doesn't think anything of it. Right. Then in short order, and then she finds out like, oh, yeah, like like her buddy set her up, but it wasn't yeah. going to go anywhere. Who cares? Right. But then he gets it in his head to call her back a couple days later because he gets investigated and his girlfriend says, um, I don't want anything to do with you because because i don't want to i don't okay, want right <laughs> it's there's so many things like that in this movie right there's so many extended like and we were even saying even from a coverage standpoint me and connor were talking before we started recording there are this movie's lensed by janusz kaminski right, who's like spielberg cinematographer but this is a great example of like not utilized here the way that he probably should have been because there are just it's overlit it's Every, under, everything it's looks under like a designed, right? Yeah. Like where her it's hair like, looks amazing. Everyone, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But Reese has some great hair going on. Now, yeah, this yeah. movie, I just want to say to what we're talking about. This movie cost one hundred and twenty million dollars. <gasps> no. Now, one hundred nineteen of that was Jack Nicholson. Well, no. do you remember how? Do you remember how shocked you were that I didn't see terms <laughs> it comes of back around. Oh, payback? The terms have turned. <laughs> now, so I'll put a link. There is a I believe it's a New York Times article. This is rare. This rarely happens, but this. For this movie, this did happen. The salaries of all the actors got released in in the Times, and they wrote about it as like a this is this is how movies aren't made anymore. And James L. Brooks is doing it, you know, old school, and it's a big gamble for the studio. So it's it's a very it's a very weird um, kind of rare thing in terms of. Knowing exactly what everybody got paid, so I'm looking at it actually right now, and and essentially what you learn is it was going to be Bill Murray in the Jack Nicholson role, and he dropped well, that out. Been better, and he dropped out last minute. Yeah. And James Brooks and Jack Nicholson obviously have a correspondence, and it was a big favor. But Nicholson got paid ten million dollars for, which is essentially 
he's 15 got minutes of screen time. Yeah, he's maybe it's, yeah. And 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 truly a, a nothing character. He's basically playing like if Trump had no personality, but it's like the general <laughs> setup of the company. Right. That's kind of what it is because yeah. they, their whole plot is basically like Paul Rudd has done nothing wrong, but and Jack Nicholson has and he's right. sort of trying to set his son up to take the fall but he explains it's because like I go to jail for 25 years and you would go to jail for, for three years because maybe Jack two, Nicholson is a prior yeah. this movie of course forgets that like rich and powerful men can plead out fucking anything yeah 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 so it's so he's like oh well, I that's why this it's movie gonna also, be a, I'm gonna be a repeat offender I'm and, like, it's, yeah, it's sure, harder, and it's harder and it's hard to root for those people like yeah it's that, like, that's what you're not rooting for him at all so Real quick, let me just—I have it all here. Yeah, yeah. Hundred million dollar budget, but net budget around hundred after tax rebates. Okay, okay. hundred million, fine. Combined salaries: director James Brooks, ten million. Four major stars: Reese Witherspoon, fifteen. Nicholson, twelve. Mm. Not ten, twelve. Mm. Wilson, ten, and Rudd a measly three. And he's like most of the movie. Combining for fifty. And, it, you know, in this article, Brooks slowed meticulous production, post-production exp- exp- expanded uh, the size of the budget. It just, it truly is, by 2010, studios aren't making movies like this movie for that much money. This is right. more something, yeah. even an evening star, for example, 1996, would be more common then as opposed to 2010. Right. And they obviously- So did, certainly yeah. a relic when yeah. you think yeah. about it from that respect. And just, just so turgid and like scenes where like, you, I don't know if you just said this. Like Paul Rudd is in the frame, and he oh no, we alluded to it, but yeah, this the is the camera sta- like the Janusz Kaminski literally Paul falls asleep. So or his it, camera operator falls asleep. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Whatever yeah, the case yeah. there, Somebody what, behind the monitor was yeah, not looking. There, nobody was there. Anybody? <laughs> Probably not. Was How do there, you know? We was there know. a video village? How do you know? <laughs> no, but they're basically they're at their first lunch or whatever, and it's not. There's there are things in this movie. There are little moments. That are inspired and are kind. And I like and going, I like going Wilson's performance in this movie. He's he does the, a lovely job. He's the best like part a, of this movie, which, I think. Yeah, Parts of Reese, he, I think, He plays too. like a, a proudly shallow guy yeah. who gets bonus points for it, gives bonus points to himself every time he's made a personal growth step. But he's so right. transparent about it. It's like kind of charming. Yeah. And Doesn't it feel exactly like every baseball player? Like when I was rewatching it, I was kind of like, I haven't this really known like, any. No, no, I don't know any, but I just, when I, I'm like, this feels like exactly like being a major league, like you're just like so just like I, It's what I would imagine Derek Like you Jeter travel a hundred, like. you travel a hundred days at a <laughs> I don't even year. really mean that as a I don't think just, I don't think Jer- Derek Jeter had that kind of self-awareness. Like this character's a what? lot of self-awareness, which is really. But that's sort of also the joke is he's so yeah. proud of his own self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there's a gag at the beginning where um, he, she, Reese Witherspoon stays over the night and then yeah. he opens up his drawer where there yeah. is a truly psychopathic level of toothbrush providing like he has a drawer full of crisp new toothbrushes in their wrappers for the many women that stay over yeah. and he has a full closet full of national gear in all different sizes mostly small and medium I know, yeah. I know. Like, so but uh, you so know fun. like he has a that's whole... a great little thing too where he's like where he says to her um He's like, he's like, he's like oh, are you small or an extra small? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, small. Like, yeah. 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 And so there are like little moments. And then we were talking, there's a part where um, she, Reese Witherspoon, like storms out on Owen Wilson and Paul Rudd. And Paul Rudd runs down the stairs while she's in the elevator. And she's running to catch, running to catch her, running to catch her. And she's waiting for a taxi. And he flies out of the hotel or out of the apartment complex and realizes she's still right there. He like stops and like casually yeah. walks up. That's funny. Yeah. Pulls it off well. And he is doing the most, like he is trying to use all of his Paul Rudd 
powers of charm, which are considerable. Yeah, very considerable. Like saving a truly shitty character, like but a the- character that is a bad he he is a bad person yeah. trying to win her heart in every like underhanded like trying to get out of the friend zone he crashes her birthday party that owen wilson has thrown for her so that he could steal her away yeah. with a bullshit story about plato that is like but he pulls it off because he is a charming yeah. motherfucker and it's the but as you mentioned earlier like the machinations of this movie are just churning at such full steam that it really bogs it down because there's you've got on your hands you know this i mean including nicholson obviously i mean he's not part of the love triangle but you have a part of anything you have a quartet of so you have a quartet of very charming capable leading actors actors, and just to not really i I don't want to say they're underutilized because like you said they're all of the movie because they can't afford yeah, anything. And, and Rudd is and Rudd well, is this clearly is, you're right. Trying. It's another movie. Like, there are no extras. In this movie. Well, it's yeah. very weird. I sh- we should give a shout out to Catherine Hahn playing a doing the most with a very thankless role. Great. She's playing Paul like, Rudd's sec- like well, assistant no, secretary, Jack Nicholson's assistant. Like she works at the company. No, no, no I she, think she she works with Paul Rudd because. She's, she's well, like very defending of Paul. Well, they're Rudd. both, but that's the thing. They're both in the company, but that's the thing. No, I know, but I think like, she. I think no, she's but she's very gung ho, very loyal to Paul Rudd, in, in which and she's trying to tell him inside information that he's like, don't tell me because and like it fucking like it matters. Like anybody's spying on you in your house. Like the fact that she went right, over there right, and right. offered to give information yeah. is probably enough for this indictment, right? Yeah. But like she's right. fully pregnant and made him a thousand dollars worth of food and she does not know where their money for their child is coming from because the baby's daddy is out of work and she might lose her job because this whole company might go over and she literally fills his fridge her, the ceo's fridge full of Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn. the queen she's, Love she's Catherine amazing Hahn. she was she she was great in just like like a trophy winning thankless yeah. role like she if, just if you listening have not seen private life with Catherine Hahn and paul giamatti do it. It's on Netflix right now. But I think my, it was my favorite movie of 2018. I believe you did list uh, it as. Uh, I love Private Life. Um, yeah, right. we're here for Catherine. Yeah. What else do you want to say about How Do You Know? Yeah. How do you know? I have one like say if, if if that one if that one movie is about like throwing away food, this movie is about <laughs> people who don't know how phones work because <laughs> every time I just drop my phone, <laughs> drops like, his phone on the ground, like you called it. There, there have to be at least half a dozen scenes where somebody calls up. But they're like on the premises and they're like, hey, I'm stopping by. And then so they call to say they're stopping by, but then they don't stop by. They go somewhere else and then they don't answer the call when they're far away. Yeah. But then when they're cl- in close proximity again, they're on the phone. So basically, with two people on the phone, they're definitely close enough to be talking to each other in person. Right. And if they are far enough away to use the phone, they do not. It's a good point. It is so bizarre. And Jack Nicholson is, and there's a, is, is stuck in this eight times. He's like, where are you, son? And the son is in the building, but he just calls well, there And there's that scene in the hospital where Paul, it's like a comedy of errors where Paul Rudd for a moment thinks that Jack Nicholson is the father of Catherine Hahn's baby. Right. Classic. And which I didn't, even, I didn't even mind that moment. What I didn't like is then they immediately address it after Nicholson leaves. Right. That she's like, did you think when he walked in? That oh, it, and it's like, well, you don't got to call it There's out. There's a lot like, of that. We, yeah, a lot like, of it's a lot of that. It's, they're like all talking about the movie that they're making while they're making it. Ugh. Like, it's so Ugh. weird. I mean, what is it? Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, James, it's, James O. Brooks is interesting. You know, terms, 
broadcast news, The Simpsons, right? Like, yeah, he really. I mean, look, I, as good as it gets, has not aged amazingly. Also with Jack Nicholson, but I, I, I still love that movie. You know, I think there's a lot to love in as good as it gets. So I mean. Even his, Spanglish, his performance in that movie. Spanglish still we brought up briefly when we talked about Adam Sandler. There's parts of Spanglish that really work. It's this tough. feels this feels actually very Spanglishy in its yeah. sort of rhythm because it, it's it's just so slack. It's languid. Yeah. So yeah, they just have room. This feels like yeah. a like this feels like what happens to people who never get told no anymore totally. or like this needs a rewrite. Hundred percent. If the budget is any indication, that's yeah. exactly yeah. What yeah it is. And I like, know, somebody totally should have been right. like, this needs any kind of dramatic drive or tension totally or right. stakes so that's how do you know and now we know how we do you know. know all right so jack nicholson I, I would love him to make another movie i mean he was in there was there was a thought he was going to be in the tony erdman remake with Kristen Wiig. Wiig, Wiig, Wiig. i don't know why Wiig, i just the, i don't know why i just give it a v there that was a I, fun moment yeah uh but it was supposed to be it was gonna be for a moment nicholson and Kristen Wiig, and then um, I don't think that's happening anymore. I don't believe it, it was going to maybe be Bill Murray once again, the Bill Murray and Jack yeah. Nicholson role. So who knows? And then go you ahead. know what? Bill Murray played the masochistic guy who goes to the dentist in Little Shop in 1986. N- the same role that Jack Nicholson, Nicholson played. Murray. It is. Yeah. Have they ever been in a movie together? I can look it up while Connor tells us what he wants from Jack Nicholson. No, maybe no, just that, to keep going to Laker games. That, that, yeah, right. <laughs> that's what i would like from jack nicholson i mean i don't know i would I, you know i would love one more movie it's been forever right like i and if honestly if nothing else just so that his last movie is not how do you know like that would just really really bum me out um yeah same i now at in terms of who i'd want him to work with um that's that's a more interesting question He's worked obviously with so many great filmmakers. I don't know if there's a particular like final team up. Like it like what is Jack Nicholson's The Irishman? You know what I mean? Like what right. what like who is that with and what does that look like? I'm yeah, because I mean Dennis I'm Hopper's sure. dead, Peter Fonda's dead. Right. Like um, all of his all buddies. His, like, his, the buddies he rolled with. You know, he wrote uh, a movie with he wrote The Trip, which was um, right. the Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda movie that came before they're all big break uh, yeah. Easy Rider. Easy Rider, yeah. Um yeah, I you know, director wise, I, and he does need another one. He needs he needs something. I think he needs a P.T. Anderson, maybe mm-hmm. like something like he he could be in in like a Kirk Douglas kind of situation or the Jason Robards in Magnolia sort Ooh, of thing. Yeah, that kind of role where he's playing that's like an good. old fucker yeah. that's on his way out, and you just like every move you're yeah. just transfixed by because it sure. just looks like they're so close to death. But yeah. there's just such vitriol still. Yeah. That kind of character. I think a P.T. Anderson could get something good out of him. I would also see him in. I bet Tarantino would do something interesting with him. Ooh, yeah, something also unexpected. And I feel like I'll think about it, but I feel like I I would love to see like a what a young director like a like a truly like an up and comer would make of him a fresh, you know. Yeah. But I do think, but those two, those are the two that come to mind in terms of like just somebody who can just take a take a legend and just see them in a new light. Yeah. I think he needs somebody like he that. is currently eighty two, so he's got so he's got maybe yeah. a little bit of time. Yeah. I, but but also at an age where he's probably good. You know he's what I mean? Probably like he's probably fine. Good. 
He's probably fine. Well, he, just, he there was some quote from him that said like, "Well, I just don't feel like getting out there much anymore." There's some talk like memory problems or whatever. Sure, you sure. You know, like as happens. Yeah, he's given sad interviews. You know, lamenting being single. You know, all the all the different yeah. things. I mean, he doesn't need to sure. do anything else at all. But like, it would be nice to have like a capstone to this. Maybe put him with Meryl again. <gasps> Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about Ironweed. Oh, we'll, we're, yeah. we'll do we'll do a Meryl. We'll uh, do a Meryl episode. We'll she talk elevates B-sides. everybody around. Yeah, we'll talk about heartburn, iron, heartburn and Ironweed. Iron yeah. All the all the so Meryl finish that trilogy. Put them in another one. You know, Nancy Myers. Meryl. Yeah. It's not complicated. Yeah, uh, something I doesn't have see, to give. Is he okay, not like, a Nancy Myers fan? No, too. I'm not a Nancy Myers fan at all. But I also <laughs> don't think that like she would do him any favors anytime he wants. Well, you hate kitchens. Like, you hate immaculate yeah, you famously kitchens. Hate famously, immaculate famously, right? Kitchens. I, I That's actually, why you don't like Nancy Myers movies. <laughs> I actually do hate immaculate kitchens and movies. There were several, and how do you know? I actually, a lot. you yeah, joke, a lot. but I really don't like them. <laughs> when I, mean, I think they're bullshit. And I think I've discovered the root of it. Nancy Myers gets a really nice performance out of Robert De Niro and the Intern. He gives a really great he's, little he's performance in that movie. You know who could you know who could knock the shit out of something like something that like yeah. Patty Jenkins oh, could yeah. do something. Sure, she could do something. With Maybe Nicholson's in Ooh, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Or I don't know if you've seen Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but if you get like Marielle Heller to like get out of Jack Nicholson, what she had Chris Cooper do in that movie. Yeah, sure, right. um, that's a good point. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Muriel Heller is like, has revealed herself to be one of the best young filmmakers in terms of working with actors. I mean, the performance she's got, got out of Richard E. Grant and Melissa McCarthy and Tom Hanks. I mean, everybody. And the whole, day. Yeah, the yeah, whole cast. Yeah. Really, really talented. So, all right. Well, where can we find everybody? You can find me at the film stage at DJ Mecca. Follow us at, at TFSB side. Uh, yeah, we're now on our own feed, though. So, you know, our, our backlog is there. So if there are episodes you haven't listened to, feel free to check them out. Especially the Charlize Theron episode. Yes, which is a great one. pretty good it, one. It, it, yeah, oh, it's, it's one. one of my personal favorites, actually. Yes. It's a very good one. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you can you can follow me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find my byline on the film stage occasionally. Uh, and uh, if you're yeah. listening, we've released our top of the year film stage. So yes, also with a new redesign to the website. Yeah, so check Fresh that out. Design. I haven't seen that yet. Fresh yeah, coat of paint yeah. on the film stage. Website. Check that out. So that, a long time coming. We're excited. About I mean, it. chances are, if you're listening, you've already clicked through to find that. But yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, check it out. Peruse it. It's our individual best ofs, as long as our aggregate uh, best of the years. Katie, remind us where we can find you. I am on Twitter at Katie Gonzo, K-A-T-I-E, Gonzo, which um, is mo- like, that's mostly if you want to hear me like yell about politics and then occasionally retweet fun stuff. Yeah, you know? sure. But, Isn't that what uh, Twitter is? That's what it's for. Mostly. Right? That's what mostly, I meant yeah. to um, I ha- we, ha- we have a bit of a new website. Um, my production company, Uncompromised Creative, with my partner in crime and life, uh, Nicholas Gray. Uh, we are now at uncomp.ninja. Oh, awesome. okay. Uncomp.ninja, also at uncompromisedcreative.com. They go to the same place. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, we can you can see what's going on there. We got some writings in the works. Um, you can also go to, we're working on a new web series right called right Thank now. You Five. So you can go to Thank You Five, the series all spelled out, no numbers. And that's a project we got in the works for 2020. And you can also look at uh, the podcast Masters of Scale um, and learn about how to be a better entrepreneur. Um yeah. I want to be a better entrepreneur. It's good advice, even if you aren't trying to make the megabucks, but everybody they talk to has made the megabucks. So. Well, it's like that famous Jack Nicholson quote, you make me want to be a better entrepreneur. 
Yeah, that's, that's the it. Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Connor, send us out. Well, yeah. I, so actually, I found a correspondence here from Jack Nicholson to James L. Books in regards to how do you know. Uh, and it, it goes a little something like this. Jimmy, I got your message, um, but I, I want to let you know that I'll only do this movie if uh, if my salary is no less than $12 million and there is at some point a hefty plate of barbecue that gets thrown in the trash. I need the barbecue to get thrown in the trash. Moreover, I think it'd be great if there was a character that filled someone's fridge with food for no particular reason at all. And I'm talking thousands of dollars worth of food here, Jimmy. Thousands of dollars. Verbatim. Anyway, Verbatim. sounds good. I think I'll do it. It's crazy. We'll link to that exact <laughs> transcript. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 